0: and we are live on Tuesday night this is got me live sorry i've always wanted to say that guys welcome to <laughs> got me live a show where you can meet all sorts of people that impact meat making including beekeepers honey specialists People who've turned a hobby into a business and mead makers who've just done super cool things. It's always a party here at Got Mead Live. I'm your host, Vicki Rowe, and I'm owner of GotMead.com. And with me is AJ Ermans, longtime winemaker, mead maker, beer brewer, and keeper of the Toothless Rabbit. And no, his name isn't Toothless. It's. Van bon Helsing. Bon Helsing. Thank you. I just totally drew a blank there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like, bah. <laughs> um, okay, tonight we have Bray Denard, who is the creator of Bray's One Month Mead or BOM, So, those of you out there who've done this uh, mead and um it is rapidly becoming the viral mead of the 21st century if you will um (laughs) joe's ancient orange was kind of the first viral mead recipe that i'm aware of anyway and please feel free to correct me if i'm wrong on on social media um but uh this one kind of took the internet by storm and it's just taking you know it's just kicking butt and taking names and there's about 15, 20, maybe 50 different variations, AJ, now? There's,
1: like... There's a lot, and it's been sort of... Yeah, it's breeding. I think it's probably more popular than the Joe's Ancient Orange.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right, I mean, from what I've seen. And, I mean, I personally am... I've got a couple of buckets sitting out there, and I really need to get back into meat making, and I think I'm going to try this one. <laughs> Seriously, I want to, I'm going to take, I saw a couple when I was looking through Bray's site, I'm going, ooh, 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 so <laughs> I'm going to see what I can create and get a couple more meats going. It has been too long. I've been kind of too busy doing the digital stuff and not keeping my hands in the honey, so.
1: I hear um, you. I've, I've got a pack of, I've got a smack pack of that the, uh W-E's 1388 that he uses for that sitting in my fridge and it's been there for like 6 months just waiting for me to have the time and the inclination and the honey all together at the same time.
0: I hear that. Yeah, I don't Gosh. have any, but it'll give me a perfectly good excuse to grab a bottle of mead and uh from my stash and run on down to the brew shop and see how much time I can kill. It's usually like 3 or 4 hours just to get like two or three things. So <laughs> I can't I can't get out of there, you know. I can't just go in buy stuff and leave. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> I usually end up hanging around and people walk in and go, wow, look, an open bottle. Why are you doing that? <laughs> 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 so, yeah, it's always it's always fun. The owners are, are a really good bunch down at, uh, yeah, shout out to American Brewmasters in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is my brew shop, so, uh, you know, they're a really great bunch of guys, and if you're anywhere in or around the Raleigh area, American Brewmasters is a place to go, and I'm pretty sure their website's AmericanBrewmasters.com. but yeah they're pretty awesome so what are we drinking tonight?
1: Uh, tonight I have got the Savage Bois from Golden Coast Mead, and I'm a couple of glasses into it already. It's pretty tasty. <laughs> so you're going to be really mellow tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully not too mellow.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to be okay to question because I got to run the board while, you know, bringing all these collars that we hope to get tonight. I have to not slur my speech. <laughs> Exacto mundo. Um... So I am drinking, uh, I still have a half a bottle of the Hidden Legend Huckleberry Mead.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, said he sent me last week. Thank you, Ken Schultz. Uh-huh. You rock. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so I'm working on that because it couldn't sit because, you know, it might go bad or something. And I'm not going to waste Huckleberry Mead. <laughs> So, um, all right. So, guys, listen live on the Got Mead website, uh, and that is gotmead.com slash, uh, well, just go to gotmead.com, and you'll see the uh, Got Mead live link there. You will always see the... uh, <laughs> I got one of the, I got somebody on the feed that's going dang I missed the beginning I was listening to the recording. If you're listening to the recording, <laughs> refresh the page so it shows up live. Um, I have to remember to say that. So, um but uh <laughs> He says he's listening now. Hi, Josh. Um, anyway, so go to gotme.com and click the Got Me Live page. That will show our, uh, our feed, which is going to show recording when we're not live and us live when we are. If you're not getting it live, refresh the page. And um, you can also get us at iTunes uh, for recordings. You can get us uh, at iTunes, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Um, we're also available at Spreaker.com is who we use to broadcast so you can also listen live there as well as listen to the recordings and then we're also on Stitcher Radio um okay if you want to get in touch with us during the show and I'll be the one answering it so be patient with me because I have to juggle like five different screens here um Facebook, where it got Mead, and we also have the Got Mead group. I'll uh, please post on the Got Mead page as a message if you can. That'll be easier for me. Twitter at Got Mead now. Uh, tweet us if you can't call us. If you want to call, you can reach us via Skype at Meadwench M E A D wench, and if you want to call us, 803 uh, 433 Mead. That's eight zero three four four three six three Two three. That is a South Carolina number, I think. So it is in the U.S. For those of you overseas, you're probably going to want to use Skype. It'll be a lot cheaper. Um, so ping in and let me know what's going on, and I will bring you in. Uh, work with me here because, again, I'll be juggling while AJ talks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you like what you're hearing and if you've been to Got Me and like what you see on the site or on the forum or both – then become a supporting member. Uh, patron membership is only $25 a year. You can get access to all sorts of special things. I'm getting ready to launch the Got Mead Special Recipes section. I'm getting, uh, starting to put data in there now, so that will open up soon. And then, of course, there's the special uh, patron-only forums where they talk about heavy-duty fermentation management and other interesting subjects. Plus, there's a whole lot of award-winning mead recipes in there. So $25 a year, and you can get access to all of that. Um, Keep it cheap on purpose. We want to make it easy for everybody. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to uh, go hide on my boards and hand the show over to AJ. All
1: right. Well, tonight's guest is Bray, the inventor of Bray's one-month mead, also known as the bomb, one of the more popular mead styles among the home mead makers right now. He provides help to mead makers around the world through forums such as Got Mead and his personal website, www.denardbrewing.com. Research scientist by day, Bray is never afraid to experiment and is always striving to improve mead making through science and innovation. Currently resides in McKinney, Texas, with his wife, daughter, son, and puppy. So, we're doing a totally open show tonight, so don't wait to call in. Call us at 803 443 6323 or Skype at MeadWench. Um, if you can't call or Skype, tweet GotMead now or Facebook message to facebook.com slash GotMead And we're waiting for Bray
0: Okay, sorry, that's my, that's my cue and I'm not paying attention <laughs> Alright Bray, here we go Okay, so We're adding Bray to the call right now Hey Bray, you there?
3: I am here.
1: Hey, welcome, dude. Hey, Bray, nice to meet you.
3: Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, Let me know if my volume levels are too high. I can knock them down.
1: (laughs) Hey, Bray, there? I think we sound good. Yeah,
0: turn your your, uh, feed down on your end, Bray. We're getting getting feedback.
3: Yeah, I just turned it off. There
0: you go. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, I was like, I hear us on like a two-second delay. That's
3: weird. Yeah, I'm an audio guy, so I knew that was coming.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, that's right. You are an audio guy. <laughs> we had that conversation yesterday. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Uh,
3: so
1: the first and most important question: What are you drinking tonight?
3: Uh, so that's actually a two-part answer. Uh, <laughs> so I have been on the quest to make meadow foam traditional.
1: My favorite. I love
3: meadow foam, I, honey. That's on my bucket list. I've been on a quest. <laughs> Quite a while, I've tried about 10 different yeast, and uh, I finally figured it out. For whatever reason, 1388 does it the best. And in fact, it does it too well. It does too it well. so well that it's so overpoweringly marshmallow that you almost need to blend it with something. You can't have more than one glass. Really. So uh, I mixed it with a sorghum mead that I have, which is sorghum syrup. And orange blossom honey, which uh, that has a very strong orange blossom flavor with the richness from the sorghum syrup, and mixed together, they are pure heaven. Huh. <laughs> They're really, really nice. Yes. Uh, and I just figured that out this afternoon.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love the way uh, I love the way Skype like totally cocked up the word sorghum. It really did not get it.
3: Well, <laughs> I, I say sorglin because everybody thinks methaglen Glenn. Oh,
0: you know, okay.
3: Right, so that's oh, why I went. I thought so- that was
0: Skype being stupid. Sorry.
3: No, that was me being stupid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was like being it. innovative. That's being innovative. Yeah, that, that's cool. <laughs> Hey, I have a mead uh, that I made with um shamberson and Merlot grapes. And it was because I, like, picked Chamberson grapes at a local grape place, but I was too late and only got dregs, so I didn't have enough juice. So I went down to the brew shop and bought a bag of Merlot juice and mm-hmm. put them both in and did, like, a semi-sweet mead with these, and I call it Chammerlot. Nice. Yeah, and it actually <laughs> turned out really good. I was stunned. <laughs> you
3: know? it's, it's amazing the stuff you try where it's, like, there's no way this is going to work. I'll do it anyway.
0: <laughs> and it works. <laughs> it did Well, and all my friends call it the sacramental wine because they all were like ah, ah. loving it.
3: That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect.
0: <laughs> it's better than a
1: sacrilegious wine.
0: That's right. Well, it, if you drink enough of it, it does that. <laughs> I'm sure.
3: <laughs> oh, it's not the wine. Don't blame it on the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: Three, four glasses of this stuff. And and Yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, uh, but yeah, so enjoying that tonight out of a horn and I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy about it cause this is my first horn that I just got recently and, uh, it's coated in beeswax, which I got that tip from you, uh, <laughs> uh so I was
1: just going to ask what you did with it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so as soon as I read that, I'm like, Oh yeah, definitely got to do that. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. That way it even makes water taste like honey. It's awesome. Mm.
3: <laughs> Not a thing going with that. I can't find anything. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, I uh, I'm happy to be on the show. Thank you guys for inviting me. I really appreciate that. And um, so, uh, I guess we want to talk about the bomb a little bit. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, from your earlier posts on Got Mead, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience with beers. So, is that how you got your start into into brewing?
3: Definitely. I started with beer and, uh, to be honest, I, I got too good at it. I got bored. Um, I have this weird ability to taste something and then exactly reproduce it. And my friends like to take me to beer tastings and say, Ooh, Ooh, taste this, taste this. Okay. Clone it.
0: Oh, you and have those friends too?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mine you're one of the those. Clo- That's mine don't say the clone it. it
0: part, but they go, Ooh, ooh taste this a lot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and if I like it, I'll clone it. Uh, if I don't like it, I'll write the recipe down for them, and they can do it. <laughs> cool. Um, but uh, in any event, I I just was bored with beer. I mean, you know, I, I specialize in Belgian ales mostly, and uh, just because they're harder to get here, and Belgians they don't really think about beers in terms of style. They take they think about um, what do I want it to taste like, and then they just make it do that. Uh, and that's what I tried to apply to my mead making. Uh, okay. So the first batch of mead I made, I, it was out of, you know, joy of homebrewing. There's mead there. Okay, sure, I can do that. Mixed up some honey, some water, some white dry mead. No nutrients, no degassing, <laughs> no nothing. And it turned out perfect the first <laughs> time. The first time. The first time. <laughs> Uh, the second, third, fourth, fifth time, not so much. Uh, yeah, so that was my evolution into mead making. The first one to get you hooked, and then after that, you're going to have to work for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Beginner's luck to get you hooked, eh? That's the way it works, man. Had you uh, tasted a mead before you made your first one?
3: Uh, I, for the first I would say good five years of making mead i never tasted anyone else's just mine Really, but that was good enough for me to recognize that i still needed to improve (laughs) (laughs) uh i i'm as a hobby i guess you would say i'm uh, very much a gourmet chef i'm very big into using spice mixes and and different flavors and making those flavors balance and pivot off each other and I do the same thing with my mead, so everything's about balance, and mm-hmm. I, it was easy to tell if something wasn't balanced, so you take the appropriate means to try and fix that, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, in more detail. Yeah.
1: So, you started your experimentations on got mead in about April 2013, uh, where you were trying to figure out with um, whether... Wine yeasts or ale yeasts were better for making meads. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the things was you were, you were suggesting in those threads. I, sorry, I've been I've been stalking you all week. Um, is t- you suggested that different yeasts metabolize different components in the must in different ways. Um, And in general, I was just wondering how you found beer yeasts compared to wine yeasts when it comes to making a decent product, even given that, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer.
3: Uh, So I use both. I I still, to this day, I use both. Uh, Wine yeast always takes a little longer, but here's the way I basically approach the problem. Um, When I first started Everybody, You know, most people knew about nutrients. They knew about staggered nutrient additions. First three or four years of my mead making, I didn't know about it. But uh, after I started, you know, Mr. Google.
2: Uh, <laughs> Your Google oh. food
0: became strong.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, basically after. So it took me a year to make my first mead, and it was awesome. So then it took me a year to make my second mead. And it wasn't awesome, and then it took me another year to make my third mead, and it also was not awesome. So then I'm like, okay, well, we got to science this thing. So, you know, come on, this has got to be better. So, uh, <laughs> so that's when I started using Google Foo. Uh, also, at that time, I was completing my PhD in, uh my focus in microbiology. And that so, helps. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs>
0: I didn't realize you had the Ph.D. in microbiology. You were saying you were a cancer researcher, but I'm going, well, I don't know exactly, because there's a lot of that sort of, you know, all kinds of people in there.
3: Yeah, so my Ph.D. is technically in biomedical engineering, uh, but my focus was microbiology. Uh, So, of course, I went full on into reading all the literature I could find, trying to figure out how to do this better of course, staggered nutrient additions were was already out there, so I claim no credit for that whatsoever um, then there was um, one sticky on homebrew talk that high test had it's not there anymore about using uh, potassium carbonate as a buffering agent, which in my field they say pH before phd so <laughs> that was just a no-brainer for me, you know, you gotta buffer the pH. That makes sense. Uh so that was kind of how my my schedule got adopted and I started using that with the very first yeast I ever tried was the Y Yeast Dry Mead Yeast. And it makes a pretty decent product. Um I don't think I would go backwards now, but but it makes it doesn't need. Um just a little more tart than I would like. Well anyway, I You know, I noticed that most people were using uh, different types of wine yeast for mead. And that seemed to be working out, but it just required a bit of age to really get around that edge, that fusilli edge that wine yeast tend to do. So my reasoning was, you know, typically a wine yeast has never had any kind of selection to be ready early. I mean, typically wine growers, they're going to, you know, make their wine and they're going to do what they need to do to get it to bottles, and they're going to put it back for a few years anyway because everybody knows an aged wine is better.
2: <laughs>
3: so I, at the time, was also making really high-gravity beers. I was making 14 15% alcohol beers, and I was having them ready to drink in a month. And I'm going, okay, that means it is possible. It just, nobody's really figured out a yeast that will do me justice. And to be fair, for my first yeast experiment, uh, I just did a variety of ale yeast from all over the world. And
2: Mm -hmm.
3: many of them definitely did. They tasted like beer because they're an ale yeast. That's what they're used for, and that's what they tasted like. That's not to say that was good or bad. It depends on what you want in your mead. But for me, I was looking for something that... Was a little more pure to the ingredient I was using. Uh, so, that first screen, the Belgian ales were winning. So, mm-hmm. I did a second experiment with nothing but Belgian yeast. and Yeah, that was, I think, July 2013. And that's when the Y East 1388 came out. Um, mm-hmm. 1388 had been a favorite of mine for a while in beer because one of my favorite beers of all time is Duvel. And Duvel is 1388. Um, so the thing is, is in beer, it's it's not quite so clean as it is in mead for whatever reason. And I think maybe uh, perhaps the, the beginning products have some effect on what the yeast can produce as far as esters and uh, taste effects. Uh, so, you know, obviously grain is very different from honey, so... I guess that's the reason why it's much cleaner in mead than it is in beer. But in any event, you know, just took off from there. And the scientist in me says, okay, well, if I can make mead in a month, that means that I can test 500 billion variations and figure out what's good and what is not.
0: (laughs) I like that. Establish your baseline and then go from there. Um, We've got several people, actually, who would like to... Uh, Join the fun Sure um, So hang on And let me bring him in First one's David Webb Who, David correct me if I'm wrong You're a fellow Texican right And hang on He gave me a phone number There it is Alright He's coming in by
1: phone That's uh, 58 Limited right
0: 58 Limited yeah Dave turn off your sound dude And um Uh, On your uh, feed so that I can call your phone and we won't get, like, weird stuff. All right, Colin, watch it ring.
1: You watch. (laughs) I know, you told it not to. I told it not to. And it's probably going to do it anyway.
2: You're right.
3: On the bright side, if it rings, waiting
0: for... Yeah, now (laughs) we're calling. We weren't calling before, but now we are. Look, it's...
1: Mm, I don't oh, hear ringing. No, oh, nope, now yeah, I hear no,
3: ringing. No, okay, making ass of us all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Computers hate us. <laughs> oh. Hey, Dave. Hey. Hey, Dave.
0: You're in. Um, okay, so we got Dave, and Josh wants to come in. Josh's first mead was a bomb. So um, he's like a huge fan. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was like... Uh, he had actually emailed me a couple days ago to tell me that the newbie guide was having bad links thank you Josh and so while I was fixing those he he, uh, he was telling me how awesome the bomb was and how he was making it and I said oh well how convenient that we're having him on the show tomorrow night
2: nice so, nice
0: yeah so we're going to bring Josh he must, in.
3: he must be in the know on a homebrew talk
0: he <laughs> might very well be he might very well be Josh I'm calling you now
3: Is David with us?
0: Yeah, we got David. David, you here? I'm here. All right, cool. And I'm not getting Josh.
3: David, nice to meet you.
1: Nice to meet you. You've reached Vicki Rose, Satori
0: Holistic well, Health. That's funny. If you are calling for an appointment, <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> I and I will no call you right back. If you are <laughs> calling to set up an appointment, please call <laughs> me <right> on <now. laughs> the phone,
2: which is 919
0: 554 Two, five, and yeah, I'll be well, for anybody who wanted to, want to know you, my office line, there a, you go, and I can't make that go away. Thanks so much for calling, and I look forward to hearing from you, and have a wonderful day. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. Beep, yeah, watch it record, like, this whole thing on my Skype recording. Yeah,
2: you're going to have a, oh, God. I'm going to have, like, a super long
0: recording, yeah. All right, so we're going to try that one more time. Call phones.
1: Hey, Vicky, at least it'll be a backup if anything happens to the other recording. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you for reminding me because once again I forgot to hit the button. Um yeah, fortunately we know it's we yeah. know it's working, so but you know, still. Um okay, so alright, we're trying again, Josh. Um so he th- he says I thought you wanted me to call oh ha 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 He's he's going, No, no, I wanted to do this. Alright, so let's get back in here and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and alright. Calling you now, Josh. Add to group call. You got to hit that button, Vic. Um, I tell you, here we go. There it goes. Yeah, there we go. You there, Josh?
4: Hi, yes, Joshua.
0: Hey, Joshua. Sorry, I didn't realize that. uh, Yeah, never. Anyway, welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um,
4: Nice to meet you. You too as well, Bray. Uh, thank you for responding. And yes, I am in the know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Good deal. <clears throat> I, you know, the thing is that after you listen to these shows for a while, you kind of get a feel for for who's who, uh, a little bit anyway.
0: Yeah, we do get some. We we do have repeat offenders. So, I mean, callers. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if
4: you're making fifteen percent beers, you're in the wrong business.
3: That's right. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm making.
3: I routinely make 14 and 15 percent beers, and I've never had an oxygen stone.
0: Wow, I'm, I'm bringing a uh, d- uh, Doug in from uh, the Netherlands now.
4: Now you're just showing off.
0: Oh, me? No. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm just loading a call up. Oh Bray!
4: <laughs> oh Bray!
0: Yeah, I know. It's like yeah.
3: Well, the thing is the oxygen stone. It requires more effort, and I was always a mazer. So I was a little bit lazy. So, <laughs> I.
1: I hear you,
0: Doug. did you make it in?
5: Yep, I'm here.
0: There he hey, is. Doug. All right, Doug from the Netherlands.
5: Good morning, everybody. <laughs>
0: Good
2: yeah, it's, morning. it's not morning of of for, for a couple him. hours for us. Good night. <laughs> <Bye.
0: laughs> okay, so uh, as we were going on, and um, Bray was talking about. All of the uh, arcane background Of the bomb
3: (laughs) Oh yeah So now we'll talk about going forward Which I always like talking about forward Because I'm going in that direction
0: Always a good Uh, thing
3: So We have a braze one month mead And now I have a couple of one week meads Wow Oh jeez That's uh, I got Fedmanet now which is uh, it's basically a hot tea mead, and that one it ferments out dry and about it's a short mead. So to be fair, it is a short mead. It's not one of these, you know 15, 16 percent alcohol like my other ones are. But still, I mean eight, nine percent uh, ferments out in three days, cold crash it two days later, it's clear, and nice. you can drink it straight out of the fermenter. Um, nice. That one. That one, I got a strawberry Szechuan that I'm still working on, but that one will be ready soon enough. And I have a uh, Hot Mama's Mangoes, which is already on my on my site. And that's uh, especially loved by me, but I'm a chili head, so, you know, whatever your taste is. There's a lot of that uh, hello, going yes. We've got a comment
0: hello, out stuff. on Facebook. Mike Fall says, one month. That's a long time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well... He uh-huh. should be happy now. We have a one-week meet.
0: Yeah. Well, that's uh, uh, Mike Fall Rabbit's Foot Meadery. So uh, he's, he's, been, he's spent the last 20 years fine-tuning that. So I forget what he's got it down to,
3: but wow. it's, pretty,
0: it's pretty short, and that's for commercial meets, So
3: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, even the bomb, it, I've never had a ferment go past 15 days. Uh, if you're not picky and you want to drink it cloudy, you can drink it then. But I do think the yeast clean up a little better if you give them a little extra time.
4: Yeah. I'm um, day six into fermentation. Until what? I'm I'm in day six fermentation right now. Um, it's at 1.002 gravity. And, uh, 002? You, Nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's gone pretty quick for you.
3: Yeah, my record so far and I, I would be happy if anybody can shatter it, but my record so far for a sixteen percent mead uh going dry was uh three days.
2: Holy crap.
3: Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: And you didn't get any and you didn't get any fusels off that?
3: Nope, not a Dang. bit. It was, it was what yeast were you using? Uh thirteen eighty eight. Yeah. So uh thirteen eighty eight, very it was a it was an excessively large starter, I must say. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to be fair, it was a large star.
0: Where are you <laughs> running uh, temperature range-wise? And I know some of this is on your site, but...
3: Uh, so, I found that the optimal temperature for at least 1388 is 68 degrees. Uh, just by virtue of how fast it ferments and how cleanly it ferments. Uh, I have seen people range anywhere from 65 to 80 uh, I don't suggest anything above 74. Above 74, sometimes it's completely clean, and other times it can be a little fusely. So I really don't suggest well, I'll let
4: that. You know, Ray. <laughs> Mine's right now is about 70, 75, it fluctuates, because I have it in a gallon, and it's just sitting underneath my kitchen table. I don't have enough room in my fermentation chamber. It's full of beer.
2: <laughs> you know, <it> just <laughs> yeah, I keep that
4: at 68, but, uh, yeah, the mead, uh, like I said, it fluctuates. So... Uh, I do recall you saying that it turned out pretty well, no off flavors, even at that temperature.
3: Um, that was early on in the game, and then I had some of my friends do some, well, to be honest, I don't know how, how uh, religiously they were feeding their yeast, uh, but they said that their temperatures were more in the 78 range, and they got a little fusels. It aged out pretty fast, you know, within another month, uh, but... Still, fusels are fusels, and I try to give everyone a heads up if I can. Um, I want I want everyone to have success because eventually one of you guys is going to start a meadery so good that I can stop making mead and just buy yours.
4: <laughs> That's the goal. Well, I like the fact
2: that you can you can
4: mess with science and drink it. And you yes. know, so uh, just like you're doing with the yeast, I, uh, I'm an engineer by trade, but. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, but being able to do that at home, uh, it's just, it, it's what keep, you know, it keeps me going on, right? It's just, it's just so enjoyable. I can't even describe it. <laughs> hmm. Exactly. And that's why I went straight from beer to meat. I'm going to do cider next. I just, like I said, I love it. It's great.
3: Oh, sizers. Oh, sizers are so wonderful.
0: Oh, man, yeah. I love me a good, that was, I think, the second meat I ever made was a sizer. 'Cause just, I just I adore apple cider, so that was I
1: think I have about thirty gallons of sizer in the working rights workings right now.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I really need to get bottling.
0: Bray, you were uh you were saying um that, you know, sooner or later somebody's gonna make an excellent mead, you can stop making it and start drinking it. Um given our arrangement you may start getting some of those. <laughs> just saying, <laughs> you know.
3: That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, I actually, I have, I have mead, so obviously I make a lot of different kinds of meads. I, I think that that's pretty easy to see from my record on Got Mead. I don't make a lot of big batches just because I like variety more than I like quantity. Um, but if I find a recipe that really sings to me, I will do three or four different variations until I get it just right. Cool. Um, and then also there's there's innovation from the standpoint of, for instance, I love Tej.
0: Oh yeah, me
2: too.
3: But I'm sorry, using half a pound of sticks every time you want to make some Tej is just ridiculous and expensive. So if you that's can even why I,
0: find it, you know.
3: Exactly. So it's so rare that you can actually get it when it's not sold out. That that's why I ended up making my my lazy Tej. And my Lazy Tej comes out perfect, and it uses half an ounce of stick per, sticks per gallon. Hmm. So, you know, reduced it by 16-fold, also cost. And it still tastes like Tej. It doesn't taste any different. In fact, all the other TES I made before that, basically they were they had too hmm. much gas and it needed to mellow a little bit. So now I've got it just right, dialed in. Okay, nice.
4: Can so, I ask a new question? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent question for those out there that are not familiar with Tej. So good question.
3: It is. It absolutely is a, an excellent question. Uh, Tej is the original mead, I guess you would say. It's a Ethiopian honey wine that is made with sticks of the buckthorn tree called gesho. It can also be made with the leaves of the buckthorn tree called kittle. Uh... In my hands, the gesho has a much better flavor than the kittle. The kittle is usually used more like hops to make a, a beer-like mead, a braggot, if you will. Uh, but the gesho, uh, originally it was used as a wild ferment, and the gesho naturally had yeast on the sticks. And so that's why they would throw it in there, because it had the, the good stuff to make the good stuff that they didn't know about. They didn't know about yeast back then. This is 3000 BC we're talking about. Um in the ancient text surrounding uh, King Solomon uh, from the Old Testament, fame apparently the Queen of Ethiopia brought Tej to Jerusalem to give to the king, and uh, he gave her a son. So be careful with the stuff. Yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs> well, and and to uh, I'm a big fan of Tej too, and so like you, I kind of dug into the history of it. There's actually an article about uh, that was in the Old American Mead Makers Association. Um, journal about a lady who went to Ethiopia to research the, the Tej history. But one of the interesting things that came out of that is Tej is a little bit like chai is in India. Every family has their own special recipe, so they're all different.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what makes it beautiful because no two are alike. But every single one is exactly the way that family likes it, which is what I've done. So I'm carrying on tradition.
4: Nice. nice well thank you for the explanation it's actually very interesting I thought you were reading Wikipedia for a moment <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am an academic so, hey, it's gray, right
0: <laughs> Scientist here in that I think it might be interesting um, uh, pulling the line back from the variations on and I know um, AJ probably had this in her questions but um, you're a scientist, so obviously you approach this. And you mentioned this on your website with the scientific method. Um, a lot of folks want to learn to make good mead, and what they aren't familiar with, or m- maybe just have never, you know, you know, had the training in or, or had the opportunity to do, is to create a. Uh, a good experiment a good scientific approach to creating their mead and I think that that might be uh, you know worthwhile of a little discussion
3: yeah I think that's a great idea um, I, I've seen a lot of people attempt to try different things but the most important thing in your experiment is your control so for instance from now on no matter what I do everything has to be side by side exactly the same honey source exactly the same source of nutrients and I always have to have which now is my standard 1388 as my control and if I don't have my control then I can't tell anything because uh, let's say you want to test five different yeast uh, and this is kind of my routine the way I do things I have to have my control because if my control which I know normally performs very well tastes awful, then I know something went horribly wrong. Either a a contaminant got in the water or something was contaminated in one of the nutrients or something bad happened. Well, that lets you know that the whole experiment is is junk. You need to throw it out. Try again. Uh, Controls. That is the most critical thing. Second thing is everything must be side by side exactly the same. If you use three different honeys and you're trying to compare them to each other, that's only going to work if you blend them together first, then make a giant must, then split it out. If you've got sourwood in one can, and you've got foam in another can, and you've got orange blossom in another can, and they each get a different yeast, you don't you don't know what to compare what to anymore. Uh So that's really, science is all about doing things very methodically, very logically. So everything that you can control needs to be exactly the same. Uh, Things that you can't control, like variations in honey, can be controlled by either buying a giant lot of it or mixing it all together and then splitting it out. Uh, Nutrients, when I add them, I add exactly the same at exactly the same time. If one doesn't get nutrients because it's gone too far, none of them do. That's the only way that you can do the experiment. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, well, you know, different yeast have different nutrient requirements. And I certainly agree with that. There's nothing wrong with that logic, but the problem is, in order to perform an experiment, everything that you can keep the same has to be the same. Which leads to the next part that a lot of people don't understand is that you find what you look for. So if you've already set up conditions for your experiment, you're only going to find whatever's going to work in your conditions. So if you start changing conditions, it may not work the same. And that's something I've found trying to switch over to Firm 8.0. Uh, in my hands, switching over to Firm 80 does doesn't work very well for a 1388.0. In fact, sometimes it works really well, and other times it just doesn't work at all. It's a little bit fusely, and I'm sure it's probably walking this line of just enough nutrients, but not quite enough. So I probably just need to dose it up. But the thing is, I've already got a system that works. i got a background of God only knows how many recipes, and I'll get to it eventually, but it's not exactly high on the list. Um, And then lastly, yeast experiments need to go dry, 1.000 or lower. The reason is that you can't fairly compare one yeast that's sweet and another one that's dry, because the sweetness will always win. So when you do a yeast experiment, you have to understand that you are not making the best mead you've ever had in your life. You are doing a yeast experiment to to basically t- taste test profiles between yeast. It's, it probably won't be the best meat of your life because it's bone dry and you just don't ever know how a yeast is going to taste bone dry. But you will be on equal playing field when you're doing your taste testing. Uh, so then after that, you go and you make your variations and you make it a little sweeter or however you want it to taste. And I think that's really my rules uh, sound good to you guys?
4: Yeah, just like the way I follow my beer, uh, I have actually an IPA, uh, two IPAs. One that I just kegged, and both uh, same malt, same profile. I, I built ten gallons and split into two. One has one; uh, they both have different yeast and different hops, and exactly. I do that specifically you know, with a flavor profile.
3: Yeah, and that's the that's the perfect way to do it. Uh, the other thing I've learned with doing massive yeast experiments is uh, always make sure that your containers, your fermenters, have enough space for air to get around them. If they're too close, they feed into each other on their heat. So that's the other thing I've learned. You know, Make sure they're spread out nicely so they get a nice airflow around them. Otherwise, if you've got, let's say you've got nine different yeast in one-gallon containers and they're all smacked together like a cube – the ones in the middle are actually a lot hotter than the ones on the outside
0: and yeah, people That's don't reckon with the uh... with how much heat is generated even by a one gallon batch they just don't even really consider that it fermentation causes heat it's it's an exothermic thing
3: yeah and you know the thing is is that the faster your fermentation is the hotter it gets
1: well yeah, yeah cause the yeast activity is what's generating the energy which causes the heat
4: yeah, I've and seen my uh, fermentation temperatures rise two uh, percent. Oh yeah,
3: I mean that's really not uncommon, and so yeah, it's the, re- ol-
4: the only
1: time I've ever seen a temperature, a perceptible temperature rise, has been when I've been using bread yeast because it gets off to such a kicking fast start. But uh, with five in in a one gallon batch, but like in a five gallon batch, yeah, I've I've noticed the heat. Uh, I've I've noticed the heat in a five gallon batch
3: too. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people for the initial ferment, you know, if they're doing a five-gallon bucket, they'll just leave the top off. And if you don't have to worry about fruit flies, oh, okay, if you get fruit
4: flies, don't do that.
2: Uh, I actually, yeah, got I honey so today, you. there some
4: were these bees. Bees were swarming my garage, and I, we don't have bees usually. It's just, they were just hovering <laughs> over my bucket of mead, as if, like, I took it from them.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're, right. they're the buzzards of the mead world. <laughs>
4: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i even though i you live on a about, uh, climate i have fruit flies all year round so leaving it open is really not an option for me exactly even when i make so, talk about
4: temperature control right um what about fermentation are so you talking about controlling the yeast but what about controlling the temperature of where you're fermenting
3: you know if you have the ability to temperature control you absolutely should um if i had the ability to temperature control i would keep it at 68 degrees constantly and it would never go one hair above or below uh for now i don't have that but what i do have is a room that is insulated by multiple walls and is a constant 70 degrees year round uh so that's what i do and it works for me but you know if you live in a tropical environment that's not going to work for you um
4: well, I don't I have, know about tropical, but I live in Arizona.
3: <laughs> that's probably worse. Worm enough. <laughs> uh, you might could get away with a swamp cooler, though, because... I have a 74,
4: 78 or so, you know, in my house, so, but I will report to you and let you know.
3: <laughs> you can do a swamp cooler, which is basically you get a container that's bigger than your fermentation vessel, put... a a big layer of water in it the highest layer of water you can and as it evaporates it cools well arizona is very dry much like texas so it's going to evaporate very quickly and it's going to cool your ferment off very fast so that's a good idea uh in your particular case and to
1: increase the surface area for evaporative cooling effect you can put like a t-shirt or a towel
3: over it as well Mm -hmm. yeah Wrap it in a towel so it soaks yeah. up the water and evaporates. Exactly. <clears throat> so uh, that's
1: surprising best. how many of us have got scientific or engineering backgrounds.
0: Yeah, I've commented on that before. That of the crowd on Got Mead, and I can't speak for the Greater Mead community, but I think you know we've got a pretty good sample size on Got Mead. The percentage of people with advanced degrees and those degrees and experience being in IT science. Um, you know, or some other some other technical related uh, d- uh, area. Me being the exception with my marketing <laughs> background, um, <laughs> is is extremely high. I, I, at one point, we had a conversation. This was years ago, going with like five different PhDs, all going at it hammer and tongs about some. I can't even remember what they were talking about, but they all had strong opinions on something that they were talking about. And so it was a not heated, but a very intense discussion about. Um, You know what was going on And it was just like this big pile of PhDs It was hilarious
3: (laughs) I've been involved with that recently actually (laughs) So Lots of hand waving ideas You know it it gets bad When people say Oh well you know It it would really be nice to know What the free nitrogen amount is In the end result mead And I looked it up today and I'm like Oh yeah I can totally measure that No problem (laughs) Oh, jeez.
5: That would be awesome. See,
1: there's one thing for thinking it through and the other thing for actually being able to measure it. Because that that was actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask is your uh, nutrient um, regimen for your bomb indicates that you should be adding at the one-third and the two-third sugar breaks. And um, most of what I've read suggests that the one-third sugar break, you know, by the time the yeast have consumed about one-third of the sugar is about as late as you want to be adding nutrients. And I found it fairly interesting, and I was wondering if you'd refine that or if that was just something that this is way, the way you started it and it works, so don't mess with it.
3: Uh, so actually, the, when I first started the protocol, we didn't know about that. Uh, that. That paper, I don't know if the paper came. I don't remember the year of the paper, but uh, I don't remember if it came later or we just found it later. Um,
2: mm.
3: But basically, there is one scientific paper that was done in uh, Great Must, that suggested that uh, after nine to ten percent ABV, the yeast are no longer capable of transporting DAP across their cell membrane. Uh, the thing is that that's that's fine and good, and that's a good starting point. Uh, I'm not I'm not uh, trying to downplay the results at all. The results are quite good, but there's a couple of problems uh, as it relates to what we're doing. Uh, the first problem is we're not doing great must. The second problem is uh, I pH buffer my system, and they were not pH buffering, but they're using grape must, so I don't know how well that buffers the must. Uh, So it could very well be that there is some DAP left over. I really don't know, to be honest. I know that my mead tastes good, and other people seem to think so as well. Uh, So it seems to be working. The other thing is that uh, I'm a little bit different from most people, In that i i don't stabilize my meat i never have and i until i have a reason to i'm not going to because i have no reason to and i'm 10 years into doing this
2: i'm
0: glad to see i'm not the only one who's never done that people always ask me and i'm like um no i just ferment
1: it till it's done rack it until it's clear and then put it in sit it for a year so i know it's gonna not gonna explode the bottles yeah
0: yeah well i like to yeah i like to age in bulk i'm okay here we go scientist <laughs> <laughs> mr. ph mr. phd sir um i have uh, been in, and i'm not a phd but this is just an anecdotal conclusion that i have come to based on my experiences and what i've seen other people talking about what's your opinion of aging in bulk versus aging in bottles do you see a fundamental difference there and if so what
3: um Aging in bulk versus bottles doesn't make too much of a difference for me because most of what I'm doing is one-gallon batches, to be fair. Uh, The rare cases where I actually do have large batches, um, I do that because the recipe is good, and I plan on opening them over long periods of time. So I really honestly couldn't tell you if there's all that much variation due to Bulking or bottling early, or just the fact that oh yeah, the last one I opened of these is a year ago. Well, I I don't know. I can't. Well, I think uh,
4: if you age in bulk versus bottles, that with bottles you're more tempted to drink them.
2: Well, (laughs) there's that. (laughs) Okay, so
3: to back up, the argument is that aging in bulk yields a more consistent product across all of your bottles when you finally do bottle.
0: That was kind that, of my uh,
1: read that's, Yeah, that's what I've found Because I've had a couple of times when one bottle's a little weird Because it got a little bit of sediment in
3: it And everything else was fine So, I mean The thing is, is that that's probably Folks that are very religious About racking, and I'm not I, I couldn't give a care If it's <laughs> cloudy or not I'll drink it Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's cloudy, I stick it in the horn. I'm not going to notice.
0: <laughs> yeah, use the, use the <laughs> colored use the colored wine glasses. That's why I have the colored wine glasses. So I don't right, you know. same here. It, so.
3: When it's nice and clear, you know, I've got my Glenkinchie glasses. I'll put it in and make everybody happy with my fancy stuff. And and if it's not clear or it's the bottom dregs and it's really good and I don't want to waste it, well, it goes in the horn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> unless it's. I mean, I'm I'm kind of if unless it's like chewy meat. <laughs> Really not too worried about it, and I've had chewy means, so I was just saying, yeah. Um, you know, when when you have to like strain it with your teeth to get it, you know, then it's yeah, it's probably needs a little more clearing.
3: But I'm yeah. a big fan of cold crashing, so I don't have much of that trouble. Um,
0: what do you use to cold crash? I've been seriously looking at the little uh, uh top closed freezers at at Home Depot, thinking I really need one. That's what I use. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I
3: use. I have uh, what my wife has termed "refrigerator row" in the garage. Oh,
0: funny! <laughs> so, have you been rescuing refrigerators from an ignoble demise and putting them in your garage?
3: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it goes in logical to do that. order. The, the first, the first double door is a freezer, and it has your glassware in it. The second double door is the stuff that's already bottled and ready to roll. the The second, the next refrigerator has the kegs and the taps. And also some goodies in there if you're brave enough to look in, which most people just go for the taps. So that's a good place to hide stuff. Tip for you guys.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember that when I visit. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) we'll we'll like distract him in
0: the house and then sneak out to the garage. You know.
1: Right.
3: And and then there's the freezers with all the home brewed uh, liqueurs.
2: Mm.
1: That is one thing that I didn't have uh, answers for when I was searching around on Godmead, is how does the the bomb hold up to aging? The only experience I've had with the bomb was um, a four-ounce one that uh, Manny shipped me of an orange blossom um, a while ago, and I drank half of it when I got it, and the other half of it um, like a year later, and it didn't seem to hold up too badly to aging. Uh, Actually, it wasn't oxidized, oddly enough. Oh, nice. I I seem to be able to abuse most terribly without oxidizing them too badly. You
0: you have the blessings of the mead gods, you know.
3: I find traditionals, I don't have any oxidation troubles at all. Um, You add fruit, forget about it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as as long as it's a traditional, just straight honey mead, it's going to be fine. You have to do something pretty stupid. Or, I have had one case. Where a specific honey For whatever reason Whatever the bees were pollinating Is very prone to oxidation really? And it's, it's a local Texas honey It's wonderful stuff But you open the bottle And you drink it and it's really good And then a week later you come back And it tastes like a sizer Because it's oxidized a little bit
2: <laughs>
3: And then you come back another week later And you're just like mm, no no, no. <laughs> Alright not- so what
0: what's the honey Because we've got dave because he's also a Texican.
3: um oh man i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head it's uh i've had a couple of honeys i've had i've had one that has the fluorescent orange label don't do it it doesn't turn (laughs) out good it tastes like when you make mead with it i i think it's probably because the bees are pollinating milkweed but i don't know that for sure But something's not right with the fluorescent orange label honey. I'm not going to name names, but if you live in Texas, you know what I'm talking about. Um, And then this one is – I'll post it online. I'll I'll go look. I got a bottle of it. Uh, I like to make it for – I like to make it when I'm in the mood for a sizer, but I don't actually have any apples. (laughs) <laughs> if that makes any sense because uh, you can you can open it once and let it oxidize for a week and it's like oh sizer but it's not a sizer it's a traditional uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah i've done that before it's you know after you after you experiment a lot you kind of get the feel for some of the more quirky ingredients and uh being a quirky person i appreciate that
1: Yeah, you do, sort of, you do sort of get a feel for what you can do to a mead. Like, the, the very first batch of mead that I ever made was a, a traditional, and I had a batch. Um, uh, the, the batch of it, I, I bottled it without uh, aging it long enough, and it went a little bit fizzy in the bottle, so I had nice. to uncork everything. And I had one bottle that sat on my kitchen floor for, I shit you not, 10 years with saran wrap over the top of the bottle. And I drank it last year, and it was still pretty awesome. <laughs> so, just to tell you how badly you can abuse a mead and have it still turn out pretty good.
3: Exactly. I so when I first got the bomb protocol underlined, and uh, I also in tandem had also made several Joe's ancient orange meads, and I found that that much like you, uh, pith gives me heartburn, so I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, so I started tweaking the recipe, and then I'm like, you know what? this takes too long. <laughs> let's, let's, throw some in there. Let's, let's throw some 1388 in there and see what happens. And that guy, I, I think I finished the ferment in under two weeks. I bottled most of it the way you're supposed to bottle it. But then there was some dregs, you know, and uh, I just bottled them and stuck them in the fridge. Forgot about it for a week. Opened it up. It's nice and carbonated. And delicious. And I go, okay, well, that's the way I'm going to do this from now on. <laughs> because it was wonderful. And I actually, I don't much care for carbonation in most meads, But there's a couple where it's like, it's really nice. It just, it just is.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I tend to like it in the uh, less strong meads usually. Like, I, I like carbonating hydromels.
3: Oh, yeah, short meads, most all of my short meads are carbonated, mostly because when I open a short mead, I want to hang out by the pool in the sunshine. That's my mindset. Uh,
0: Okay, so you raised the question, which is one of the eternal mead questions, uh, right up there with boil versus not boil and all that kind of thing, of how do you carbonate your meads?
3: I've done it two ways. Uh, The first way is, of course, the, the way of letting it go dry. And then adding some carbonation tabs back, which are basically sugar cubes. Uh, put it in a warm environment. I prefer on top of the back of my refrigerator because the heat that comes off the compressor rises up and it makes your mm. whatever carbonate very quickly.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's that's the a second, unique approach. I like it.
3: Uh, the second way is a little trickier, but it can be done which is you can wait till it's like 1.005 and you know it's going to go dry and just bottle it. And that generally works really well. So you're planning to carbonate it, so you should have the appropriately uh, strengthened bottles for that. So I I pretty much... What about kegging? uh, Kegging is easy. Mm -hmm. Kegging is easy, easy. Oh, yeah. You You know, you just put it in there kegs can stand 100 PSI. Nobody knows that. The reason I know that is because I had a friend, um, he was doing some brewing, you know, he had kegs and everything, and hurricane hit. And so they had to go out of town, lost power, 98 degrees in his keg and refrigerator. He says he walks back in, the PSI on his gauge is 100 pounds per square inch, and the keg is bloated. (laughs) Blown up.
0: Oh, my God. Was it a metal keg?
3: Oh, yeah, of course.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, Oh,
3: jeez.
0: Oh, man. That's like a hand grenade. Well, it's actually like a bigger, really, like a landmine,
3: really. Uh Oh. And he's like, yeah, I just depressurized it, and I still got it.
2: Oh, that's, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'd have been, like, like, sneaking
0: up on the thing going, okay, please don't explode.
4: (laughs) So, with the the traditional meat, is there a recommended carbonation level when you serve it in the kegs?
3: Uh, really, it just depends on what you want. If you just want it a little bit petulant, uh, I would 4 to 5 PSI. But you know, it's going to depend a lot on your particular setup, as, as does everyone's. Everyone's setup is a little bit different. But for my setup, 4 to 5 PSI is good for just serving and slightly petulant. Then you move it on over to 7 PSI. You get a little more carbonation. You get up to 10, you're going to get some pretty solid carbonation, but don't expect any head. It is mead. So, you know, there's no proteins to hold that head in place. And then I think if you get past that, you just start to get into this carbonic bite that's not pleasant in mead because mead's such a delicate flavor to start with. You start getting past 10 psi and, you know, you're just swirling it around trying to get the the carbonic acid out of there. Yeah.
0: There's some actually. There's some
6: pretty good commercial examples. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. If you go over 10 PSI on a kegging system anyway, it shoots in the glass so fast all your carbon is just blown out.
3: Uh, You know, the only time I go over 10 PSI is if I'm doing a nice uh, stout Belgian ale that's, you know, 12 plus percent alcohol uh, with a nice head. Other than that, I don't ever see a reason to go above 12 and even then, fourteen tops. I'm sorry. What was that? You said great uh, eight psi. Yeah,
6: I keep mine about eight psi for serving.
3: And I think for serving, that's that's perfectly great. Um, so it also depends on the mead. Some meads, for me, mead is. Is much like my food I like balance So I always, I always have a joke that uh, Barbecue sauce I'm big into making barbecue sauce Well
0: yeah you're a Texican
3: and, uh, Well actually I'm a Georgian Well um, still a southern boy though you know, Barbecue sauce so is a food group Barbecue sauce is all about <laughs> Barbecue sauce is all about Balancing sweet Sour salty savory yep. mm-hmm. um, Well mead Is the same thing Only different parameters so you have the sweetness, of course. You have the sourness, which you can try to mess around with acid blend if you want to. But in my – my now, this is just my opinion. If you can make it work, you do it. But in my opinion, acid blend just makes it taste really artificial. And maybe that's in my head. I don't know. Uh, but I try to – I try to design my recipes around how much acid I want in it to begin with. And then if I really feel like it needs some acid, I'll use something like lingonberries or something like that to provide some acidity. Um, But there's, there's sweet, there's sour, and then there's... Your flavoring component, which can be just your pure honey, it can be spices, it can be peppers, it can be all different sorts of things. And I think that's what's great about mead is the fact that there's such a versatility there. You can make it taste like anything you want. And then lastly, I would say for mead, and I know most people say there's only like two or three things you need to dial in, but there's also the wow component too. And the wow component for me is not so much the ingredients that you put in there it's how well they're balanced against each other so uh for instance one of my favorite summertime drinks i call it belgian spacecraft and craft is a equal mixture of mead sizer and beer
0: hang one sec hold that thought please bray uh joshua was dropping off and i think he just wants to say bye
4: yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to leave on and out. So Bray, uh, it was great to meet you, talk with you, get to hear everything about you and what you got going on. So uh, again, I appreciate it.
3: Absolutely, thank you so much for uh, for calling in. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, and I will keep ahead. bothering you in the forums. So look forward to that.
3: <laughs> Good. I enjoy all challenges.
0: Right. <laughs> all, right, all right, Bray, resuming uh, where you were.
1: Belgian <clears throat> spacecraft. period. go. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So. So, beer and cider mixture is called Graff, and honey and apple cider mixture is called sizer. So, I call it craft. So, it's Belgian space craft. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I, I like it. So, now, uh, I have
1: something else on my to brew list. Thank I you.
0: Know, right? Yeah, I can hear Doug's <laughs> evil laughter in the background
2: there.
3: Well, what's great is you can finish the fermentation in, like, five days, and then you can carbonate it in less than a week. So I can have that stuff in the keg and ready to roll in less than three weeks. So great for summertime. So, and the thing is, is that nobody expects to have honey and apple cider and beer grains in the same beverage. They just, it just blows the mind. The thing is that it's made with thirteen eighty eight, and it actually has a little bit of that clove like quality that Ho Garden has, but yet indeed, need thirteen eighty eight will never do.
0: Hmm. Did nobody ever expects the Belgian Inquisition?
3: <laughs> they, they just really don't. Sorry,
0: I just had to go there. I, I just. Yeah. Somebody's got to be a well. I shouldn't say somebody's got to be a smartass around here because Ag and I kind of outsmartass each other, but
2: uh huh. <laughs>
1: Actually, one of one of the first beer-like things I made was kind of like that, um, only with um, whatever whatever yeast came with the two-liter brew brew in the bottle beer. But I mixed it with cider and honey. It turned um, out not bad, but it was a little bit
3: sweet. You know, the thing is that uh, I I'm one of those uh, I'm one of those people where I kind of I kind of envision what I want it to taste like and then try well actually i have two modes this is the first mode the first mode is i envision what i want it to taste like and then i try to use the ingredients that i have to make that happen mm. then the second mode is just pure experimentation here's this it's so
1: long enough you'll ferment it right you no know, i have this mental
0: image of you standing in front of the pantry going Well, let me see. I got cloves and ginger and some leftover breadcrumbs. And um, oh, look, there's that oatmeal that I've been meaning to use up. And look, (laughs) carrots. Maybe some pork chops. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pork chops would be in the refrigerator, but yeah, you know. (laughs) No
3: no pescamels.
0: No pescamels, yeah.
2: That's well I'd say there's
0: the perennial there's the perennial. This is another one of those uh ancient perennial questions that seems to crop up on got meat every couple of years is uh have anybody ever trying to make a meat a <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: Yeah, for those of you who don't know, a pescumel is made with um basically rotten fish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's luth. Yeah. so it's lootfisk meat? Pretty much.
0: Yeah, oh, God, I grew up I grew up in that area, and it's like, you know, okay, I'll eat lutefisk, but, you know, I mean, yeah, don't make me drink it. <laughs> this does not belong uh, in the do you, drink.
5: Do you use mostly the the 1388, or do you use uh, any of the other dry yeast as well? Uh, so, I actually have a
3: dry yeast bomb experiment that is still ongoing. Um, I've found a couple of dry yeast. Uh, I didn't test exclusively ale yeast this time. I tested uh, yeast that were giving, or, well, I thought would give superior aromatic qualities. So uh, so basically, I have uh, Safe Ale, Abbey Ale yeast. It's important that I tell you it's Safe Ale. Oh, well, wait a minute. No, it was Lalleman. Lalleman. Safe Ale is the one that I did not use. So there are two companies that make an Abbey Ale yeast, and the one I used was Lalimon. The one I did not use for the meat experiment was Safe Ale, to make that clear, because I didn't realize at first that there were two of the same name but made by two different companies. So that's an important clarification. Uh, I use that one because it's also a Belgian Ale yeast, and actually it it won out so far, uh, but it does produce a little bit of a – I guess you would say a Chimay type quality. If you've ever had a Chimay beer, it has that kind of finale clove quality, which can be good or bad depending on what kind of honey you're using. Um, it's actually pretty good in sizers. Uh, I did find that out in a positive light. Uh, also, uh, I used...
5: I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I used a 1388 on uh, on one batch of a uh, methaglin. I didn't... Uh, Lady Windebank. It was one of the old, uh, super old recipes out of uh, Sir Digby. Yep. which uh, Yeah, I've got that. Which I, which I, I, I sort of patched together some of the, uh, some postings in the forums and then, uh, uh, filled in the, the, the very numerous blanks with some value. And, and it actually turned out pretty well. Uh, and that was like, in I don't know, like three or four years ago. But then, uh, because the 1388 is so expensive over here, it's like almost nine bucks a pop. Um, and uh, so I didn't use it on the next batch, and it turned out not as good as the first batch. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if it's uh, uh, just the 1388, just the yeast. I think I used the, I may have used D21 on this so D21 is
3: wonderful if you want a nice, focused uh, mead. And to answer your question, I use a lot of different yeast. And I use a lot of different yeasts side by side because I want to know how they, how they perform under the same conditions and what flavors they provide. Because I see yeast more as like a component of your toolbox. You wouldn't use a screwdriver when you need a hammer, right? sure yeah
1: unless that's, that's all you happen to have in the toolbox at the time <laughs> <laughs> but if you well <laughs>
3: I've been yeah.
5: I've been uh, playing around with uh, BM 4x4 lately um, and I've found especially with with some of these method wins that it's that it seems to preserve things more and right now I've got a they have got a flavoring over here called speculos, which is kind of a, a gingerbread sort of thing um, that sounds awesome it does yeah. Uh, so I'm. I've got the first batch of it. I did, you know, spot on when I created the must. Was uh, that, the flavor was right there. By the time it was done fermenting, it was not speculoos anymore. I mean, it was tasty, but it was not speculoos. So That's now I'm com- back to doing test batches using uh, the BM four by four, which I've had some good luck with on, on glens and. uh So I've uh, boiled my spice mix and added one to primary, and then I've got a more traditional brewing next to it with the same, you know, virtually from the same batch without the spice mix, and I'll be adding that probably Um, post-secondary, trying to get that flavor there because the Dutch over here are not, they're not into meads at all, but I've had... Two people, including my physiotherapist, who was a teetotaler, say that, well, okay, if you get the speculose flavor out, then, yeah, I want to try some. So, you know, <laughs> 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 there, there, there's some interest in, in 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 that particular flavor, so I'm trying to get it right. Uh,
3: well, the thing is, is that yeast can metabolize uh, a great number of things, and what's going to come out of that metabolism is always a toss-up. You know, this is like I'm telling you with Use 1388, 80, you stick it in beer and you can get some phenolic clovey flavors and you stick it in mead and it's totally clean. I think in your case, since you're trying to dial in such a very specific flavor and you don't really have the specific components of it. So if you knew it was this much ginger and this much cinnamon and this much clove and this much whatever, I'm just speculating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've um, got the recipes for that, yeah you know if you've got that then you can add it all in the secondary after your yeast have finished their metabolism and then you're gonna doll it in so add half of what you think taste it add more as you need it get it to where you want it to be but since you've got this nice little bottle of flavoring which is always nice to have uh, I would suggest making just a completely clean mead nothing else in it uh, get it all the way to secondary and then start dosing it in. And very often what I'll do is I'll sit down and I'll, I'll measure a glass, take like 15 mils out, uh, put in, you know, however many drops, and say, okay, that is about perfect. So I'm going to add half that. Because what happens is when you're sitting there with a glass and you're tasting it, you're just doing little bitty sips. So you think... Well, that's perfect. I'll just add that amount. And then it's way too strong because you have to think about the fact that you're going to drink a couple of glasses of this, not a couple of sips of this. (laughs) So, you know, Mm -hmm. have some restraint, but definitely do the bench testing and say, okay, well, I can take my spice mix that I've got, add it into 15 Mm -hmm. mils. This is how much I need to add. I'm going to cut that in half. I'm going to add that to the whole batch, you know, multiply it up, of course. And uh, and then generally you'll dial it in spot on. I find yeah. half is
5: the key. That's that's about what I was thinking about because like, as I said, I got two batches going. One with my 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 boiled. Actually, I just boiled the spices uh, in two liters of uh, water. Saved, froze half of it for uh, the one, but uh, the unspiced batch and then i've got the spice batch that is fermenting you know from the primary so you know but that's probably a good thought is to just sort of add it glass by glass post-secondary after it's after it's all stabilized and such
3: and exactly and the other thing is that if you add it ahead of time unless it's a a solid spice that you know is going to perform well which, of course, you can always experiment. I'm never going to discourage you from experimenting. Of course, that's not who I am. <laughs>
2: uh, but it's if you don't want
3: to, it's
0: credo. You can't discourage them. It's against the rules. <laughs> uh, yes,
3: pretty much. Uh, but but if you just want to dial it in so that you can get buddy, then my suggestion is wait till secondary and really get it dialed in, and then you know hook line sinker. And the first one's
0: uh. free. <laughs> hey, AJ, this is totally, uh, you know, uh, non-apropos of anything, but doesn't Bray sound just a little bit like, you know, can, go on, Bray, say I'm going to science the shit out of this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's sure. what you gotta do.
0: You do. You sound. You you sound a little bit like Matt Damon. Just saying.
3: Well, you'll be disappointed <laughs> if you see my face.
2: Uh,
0: yes. <laughs> Allow me my dreams. Allow me my dreams.
1: I. You, you totally do science the shit out of stuff, though.
0: Yeah, you really do. <laughs> and
1: well, it's great to read about.
3: Well, it's like now, you know, I, I, I read. I research. It's kind of my thing. I do that. Um, that was so one now, thing I
1: was wanting to ask about your uh bomb protocols is have you managed to incorporate Fermato O into it or or is that still in the in the in the workings?
3: Actually, every single one of my short meads uses Fermato. It performs very okay. well. It performs very well with low-alcohol meads, and in addition, you can add it all up front and not have to mess with it ever again. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's nice.
3: So, so it's the combination. Uh, I, I think the best way that I've, I've ever heard it put is that the difference between extreme efficiency and laziness is a very fine line. To the untrained eye, extreme efficiency almost looks like laziness.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now Anybody who's ever read Robert Heinlein knows this to be true. I mean, you go read, there's, I can't forget the character he's got, but the guy looks like he's totally being lazy, but in reality, he's like super brilliant, and he's just made it really, really efficient.
2: Yeah,
3: so that's what I like to do. You know, short meads, I fix them on day zero, and I... You know, cold crash them on day three and on day six I'm drinking them. <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> Not quite
1: that quick with my hydromels, but it, it's close and I actually uh, half the time I forget to use nutrients in those and they do they do just fine. And the fermentation's done really, really quick and then they drop really, really clear, really, really fast, and then I can, you know, bottle curb them, you know, within a week or two of, of pitch.
0: So that's where I need to send folks when they when I get these emails um at my got mead address saying my daughter's wedding is a month and, and, and I promised that I'd make mead for the wedding. What do I do? Oh, yeah. like, Talk to Bray. There you go. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. If you've got kegs, we can make it happen. That's no right. <laughs> uh, yeah, wait, question
5: you mentioned lawyer. that you had uh, the got uh, a, uh, oh,
0: go ahead, Doug, and then Dave will bring you up.
5: Oh, you, you mentioned that you had the the equipment on this nitrogen. I don't know if you've been following the Furmayo discussion about you know is it forty should you dose it forty parts per million or fifty or I think tosna has got a, a higher number than that. Um, you know, uh, do you, have you actually done any testing with your equipment on the Furmayo and uh, the various available nitrogens? Uh, the thing is, is that most
3: Okay, so you asked me to geek out. That's the only reason I'm going down this road, just for sure. <laughs> I did. We
0: are a bunch of geeks here, so,
1: you know. Seconded. I want no. to hear it, too. Mm-hmm.
3: So there's, there's Yan, which right. is yeast amino nitrogen, which can be peptides or free. There's Fan, which is free amino nitrogen, which is mostly just your uh, DAP, basically. Basically, the, the easiest thing to digest possible and then there's organic. So organic is it's actually kind of ill-defined, but the best I can tell based on what I can read is it's kind of a combination of everything and the more complex stuff. So Fermate O falls into that third category, making it very, very difficult to measure directly because the yeast have some ability to break it down to a degree where they can actually use nitrogen out of it that your testing would not necessarily pick up Uh, that's why when you look at the product inserts and stuff is is so confusing because they can't just say that it's got this much yan or fan in it they've got to say oh well it looks like it has this effectiveness well that's not very helpful for those of us who actually like numbers But the truth of the
1: matter is especially when most of the research is done on grape must. Yeah, exactly. And you
0: do realize that your experimentation in this area is going to cause me to call you separately and say, Hell, can you help me create a table for mead makers with these yeasts? So Mm -hmm. you know, just saying
3: you've already like dug your own grave. Uh, if you want to come up with some grant funding, sure.
0: <laughs> Ooh, good answer. <laughs> we, You know, let's see if we can... Let, let me make some phone calls. Yeah.
1: Chocolate paramed? Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, so, my my pedigree has two Nobel laureates very early. So, you know... We can make that
0: right. oh, Okay, we're going to go there, are we? All right, I see how it is.
3: <laughs> um, so, in any event... I think it's very difficult to measure based on any known uh, system that we currently have. That's pretty tough to tell. All I do know is that 1388 seems to be on the high end of needing nitrogen. And 71B, which is what the Tosna protocol was built off of, is low. All right. So here's the thing. Low and high is very abstract. And... I think it's just based on what winemakers over the years have kind of surmised by doing this over and over again. It's not really based on any solid numbers, uh, which is all fine and good if you're working with great must, but we're not. So we have to deal with what we got. And I I could probably sit down and in a couple of weeks figure out a Fermato thing, and I
5: will eventually. Uh, but I have so many things on my list. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll uh, I'll uh, send you one of the Yon calculators that I've been messing with. That uh, that already has a table built in for the differing requirements for nitrogen and the various yeasts that that uh Lalleman and Lavin puts out. But
3: uh, you know, the you know, thing that- is, I think as mead makers we're a little bit on our own on this front. Um, yes, we are. Yep. And so I think if we're going to get any answers on this, we've got to do it. You know, we've got to work together and we got to do it. Um, so, I, because, I mean, it looks like the industry so far, uh, yes, I understand that me making and meteries are increasing and that's very good. And I want to see that go further. Um, but i also recognize that there's a certain uh there's a certain point in which the honey runs out right (laughs) so i'm a little bit concerned about where those two things meet up how far can we go before our supply is just no longer available to us
0: and that's an excellent point point. mike fall rabbit's foot um actually did something and i'll have to see if i can dig it up it's on the was on the American Meat Makers Association page several months ago. But he actually did the math on growth oh, trends. Cool. Ver- yeah, it was. you'd love it. <laughs> uh, I'm actually a
3: member of AMMA, and I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was on their Facebook page. So go on the page and see if you can search it out. But um, he had, and I may have it somewhere. I'll dig around and see. I, I, I want to say that I saved or copied it. But um am not 100% sure. So I'll look and, you know, we'll see if we can track it down. Because I think it would be All an right. interesting conversation to have about that. Where, you know, does the rock meet the hard place in terms of mead growth versus honey availability? And he did the math and came up with some pretty scary numbers. You know, I mean, it was not a good nobody wanted to talk about it you know it was like all this yeah well what about them braves you know i mean it was there was a whole lot of look over here you know kind of stuff then you'll just on. have
1: to come to canada where we have to have a 100 hives in order to have a meadery
0: yeah yeah well and that's it's that's a really sensible way to approach it i think i mean i know yeah, that it that's just like, doesn't
1: help if you're trying to start small i mean saying does, you only yeah. have you can only use your own hunt okay i'm, I'm hijacking yeah. them and and saying you're right. you can only use your own honey is one thing but saying you have to make this much honey in order to even get on the on the ride is just a little bit hard for this for the small guy it AJ, should be a AJ, ramp
0: all right so You'd aj stay. for you what we're going to do is a canadian confab i'm going to get my favorite canadian mead makers on and the little ones okay that are like scrabbing along And doing it on a shoestring and let them talk about that I think that would be I
1: cannot wait
0: yeah so I'm not drinking
1: anything at all that night
0: okay yes you can take (laughs) a lot of we'll record this you know so you don't have to worry about taking notes I want you present Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah we'll we'll do that I'll make some I'll make some phone calls this week and uh, we'll set that up
3: that sounds awesome and also I think in terms of sustainability that might be wonderful for Americans to learn as well
0: yeah oh I agree totally it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen And especially in light of the fact that we're definitely not seeing a growth of honey production versus increase of honey usage. I mean, granted, mead makers on the scale of overall honey availability are really a very small part. But the growth curve that we're seeing here is exponential. You know, I mean, it really is. And um, you know, and of course, there's also an increase for other uses, bakery uses, so forth and so on that is happening enough so much that there's entire companies that I was just reading an article a couple weeks ago about a company that got completely nailed and is being sued every which way but loose because they basically hid the fact that they were they were money laundering. Their, they were honey laundering this is what they were doing. <laughs> honey laundering. This is what it was. And so they were taking like Chinese honey
3: ultimate and- source of crot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they were taking Chinese honey and shipping it through like three or four different countries before bringing it into the United States and labeling it as Polish or South American or, you Aww. know, or Panamanian or something and, and trying not to, you know, let anybody know that it was Chinese honey. But they're the smart, the you know, the smart cookies were going, uh-huh. You know, if we do a pollen analysis of this, we can see that blah, 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 you know, so... Um, they got, these don't grow they in they there. They Long want story short, they got busted, yeah, eventually. But they were even going so far as to filter large amounts of honey to get the offending mm-hmm. pollen that could be traced back to Chinese honey out of it and then inoculating it with honey from other countries. I mean, it was, like, elaborate as crap.
3: And the thing is, is that actually china has some really good honey if you i I know i work with a lot of chinese people and they can bring you honey this back back this just like wow this stuff is awesome
2: you know
0: we never see any of that
3: (laughs) you just you just have to know who to talk to
0: (laughs) and there goes the last of the huckleberry mead i am so crying man (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Schultz, thank you so much. I'm gonna miss this bottle of
1: Huckleberry Mead. <laughs> R.I.P. Bottle of Huckleberry Mead.
2: Mm, yeah, you were well loved.
1: You were well loved. You were you were drunk too soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, spare Huckleberry Mead. Sorry.
1: Just just like you your drink. tell we're in our cups.
0: You can tell what happens when AJ and I've had three, four glasses of mead. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, J.B. Cycle Nut on, um, on Twitter has been kind of carrying on a little bit of a conversation. and He was going back to our conversation earlier about temperature rises and um, me you know, fermenting and what it does temperature-wise. And he says that he's just started doing 14-gallon batches, and he's not having any trouble keeping the temperature down. And he's not seeing a temperature climb at all. I thought that was yep. really interesting.
3: God bless you. Yeah, that's I, what I said. I'm so happy for you.
0: I know, right? He's the lucky one. I was like, seriously? What are you doing different? Because we'd like to know.
3: Every time every time I try to scale up beyond five gallons, the temperature spike is so bad. It's like, okay, well, I got to do this in wintertime.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and I remember, um, oh, God. AJ, it was back when JD was first starting his, uh, his uh, meteoric purchase of... <laughs> All the equipment he could find. Um, JD got really interested. He got a conical fermenter, and then he got a um, he got a um, oh I mean, he did this root cool thing
1: to make a cooler for it. I it was think. way
0: cool. He's really yeah. sharp with that stuff. And um, but anyway, he had ultimately ended up getting a cooling jacket. But he was basically trying to cool it down. And he was telling us about some of the temperature swings he was seeing. And then, of course, you know, a lot of my other friends have said. They see it, and then you get up into the commercial scale, hundreds of gallons, yeah. and they're going, yeah, no, <laughs> this stuff would boil by itself if we didn't do something about
3: oh, it. Yeah, either. for real. I mean, uh, even <clears throat> so even as, as stark as I am on not using temperature control, I know I will never go above five gallons without temperature control. After five gallons, it just has this exponential effect And it's going to be bad unless your temperatures are just naturally 65, 60 degrees. Don't try a bomb greater than five gallons without temperature control. It's not going to turn out well for you.
0: Okay. Uh, JB Cyclonaut says he's not doing anything special. Ambient temp, 65 degrees average.
3: Yep. Then he's right in the correct range for that to work for him. Yeah. Uh, if he was 70, it wouldn't be the same conversation.
2: <laughs>
6: <laughs> when I did buy uh-huh. a Lollaberry explosion, I had it in the back bathroom in the bathtub with water in the middle of winter. <laughs> we
3: well, and explosions think, are a little I think bit we different. got
6: down to 40 degrees once this year.
3: 40? Wait, you got your mead down to 40?
6: No, the outside, temperature, the outside the, temperatures. outside uh, temperatures. Oh, oh okay.
0: <laughs> it got frighteningly uh, cold in Texas kind of thing, you know.
6: <laughs> yeah, I actually had to put a jacket on once. <laughs> oh, oh yes. shut up. Yeah.
3: Te-
1: Texas is,
3: yeah, that's Texas.
1: We're still below freezing. Shut up. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you won't be jealous when we're 110, yeah, literally.
1: In the shade with, yeah, <laughs> with the air conditioning well, on. Yeah, yeah, but we're yeah, still take, going up to 30 Celsius,
6: which is almost take the 110 same. and come down here with 90% humidity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what
0: I'm talking about. People go, oh, no, it's hot here, and I'm going, try it when there's enough humidity in the air that you need scuba gear, scuba gear to step out the door. Well, mm-hmm. nah.
1: oh,
5: that's the the hottest ones. Ones. all the time, 80, 90% humidity all the time up here. I
0: imagine you got a wall of water between you know. I mean. <laughs>
5: well, yeah, we got. I'm. I'm. I'm actually 12 feet below sea level. Yeah, ugh, uh,
0: just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. It just gives me the heebity jeebies I can't even. Uh, to imagine there's this 12 foot <laughs> wall of water between me. Well, maybe even higher than that between you know, and with with a, with a pile of dirt between me and. uh, uh no.
2: Mm-mm.
5: Well, no, I live. <laughs> I got lots of time for warning because it's the, the nearest Isomir, the, the, the big big lake that used to be the South Sea. Uh, that's at least three kilometers away. so, so we
0: so you got what 10, 15 seconds before you can get at least you know
1: climb up your chimney just long enough
0: I mean, come up. my daughter lives in Washington State. all right side total sidebar here. My daughter lives in Washington State near, uh, near Tacoma. She's at uh, um, joint base Lewis McCord at uh, just outside Tacoma. And um, they were talking about the, uh, um, you know, if there was a tsunami, like if there was the superquake, right? If there was a tsunami, that everything west of I-5 would have, like, less than five minutes to get to high ground. And I-5 is, like, an hour from the coast, (laughs) you know, so.
3: (laughs) It's an interesting scenario to think about. Also, irrelevant. (laughs)
0: Uh, well, like I said, total sidebar and uh, apropos of nothing. But, uh, yeah, back to uh, – yeah, and um, J.B. was saying, uh, yeah, so so if you're below – then if you're like 65 or thereabouts, you're not going to see that temperature increase? Is that what you're saying?
3: No, what I'm saying is that if, if he's holding at 65 and he sees a temperature increase, he's probably still within bounds. So, for instance, uh, if you've got you know five gallons or less and you're at 65 – the most I would expect to see a temperature increase is probably 10 degrees. So he's sitting at max 75, and that's probably short-term duration. So in that case, he can probably get away with that okay. Um, now, if he's 70 degrees and he's spiking at 80, which means he's above my 74 for a long, long time, uh, well, that's probably going to be a little more difficult. Um it doesn't mean that it won't be good mead, but you're just going to put it back in the time frame of six to eight months before you can be able to drink it.
0: Yeah, you got to age those fusels out. Well, that's what I'm wondering, and he didn't really say, is how much of a temperature swing is he really seeing at 65 degrees? Because it, I mean, I and he mean, may simply not know.
3: I mean, if you test it the same time every single day and you think once a day is enough, well, then you might not realize there's that much of a temperature swing. But throughout the day, I mean, you just don't know.
0: Oh, well, that's a good point. That's a good point because then, you know, you've got your daily temperature changes and whatnot. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I had that, I had a strawberry mail that I was working on, and sucker, if I hadn't been checking. You know, I mean, the sucker went from we were at uh, 45 degrees overnight and temp climbed to over 80 during the day. Typical. Well, you guys live in Texas, so you know this typical, you know, uh, swing from in a 24 hour period, especially in the springtime. And um, so here I've got this lovely strawberry mel that's supposed to finish semi-sweet. And that sucker burned through to dry and was full of fusels <laughs> in like 48 hours. You know, it was just like, really? <laughs> so yeah, I ended up blending it with, a, uh, with an orange blossom traditional that uh, hmm. died too sweet because... Because why yeast, sweetmeat yeast? You know, we wouldn't even go there. Right. Yeah. And um, so nothing I could do would restart it. So I was like, fine, and blended the two and ended up with an, actually a pretty good mead. <laughs> but um, it was weird because, I mean, was, we were just cooking along at a normal rate until the temperature swing. And then it just went, foo right through the roof, you know.
3: And the thing is, is that all yeast can put on their super suits from time to time. I mean, yeah. I've even pushed why yeast 1388 to 19%. Hmm. so really? it can be done if you know if you know what you're doing and you know how to get it done you can make it happen
2: what are they uh, rated that, for
3: it's rated for 12 to 13 uh, actually in mead i find it consistently stops at 15.7 to 16
2: Okay.
3: Uh, for some reason in mead it just functions a little bit differently and that's that's not un- that's not surprising at all in my opinion anyway.
0: Well no because they're rating it for wine uh, for grape wine so yeah actually sense. this is rated for beer so or for beer okay really
3: different, really, uh, really.
0: Different. We really need to create a set of yeast tables that relate to mead. I was I, I was updating the wine yeast table links the other day on got mead and you know going to Lalaman and why and yeast and and you know all of the different wine, uh, yeast sites. And they're going. So if you're making a Bordeaux, and it's like, but I'm not making a Bordeaux wine, wine, wine. <laughs> yeah,
3: and I use I use a lot of wine yeast. Just to see how they do. And I I used uh, D21 because I wanted to see how it would function. And actually, it's one of the rare cases where what they say for wine actually holds pretty true in me. It's a laser-like focus on whatever your var- varietal honey is. Um, Which can be good in a sense if you're really trying to dial something in, which, um, but it's it's bad in a sense because there's no complexity whatsoever.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, And if if you just are set on okay, this honey is fantastic. I just want to taste this honey with laser focus. Then D twenty one is definitely for you, and it's the closest thing we have to the um, Brother Adams yeast. It's not the Brother Adams yeast, which. Most people can tell you that, but it's the closest we're ever going to get. Yeah. Um, so it's close to his area, which brother Adams was a, a monk that's devoted his life to making, uh, these wonderful honeybees and, uh, Everyone loved his mead, but he was he was very religious about his mead as well as his religion.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Being a monk <laughs> his, and all, yeah. He
3: made his mead. He stuck it in barrels for seven years, and you didn't drink it before that. Mm-hmm. So, of course, his mead was awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and there's actually, uh, I know there's a lot of uh, extant. Um, just open, open source stuff that's out there because the, um, the, um, SCA and other groups, historically minded groups have, have rescued it. But there's also a book, a collection of his writings such as they are and what we have available that is out there. So search brother Adams on Amazon and you'll likely come across it.
3: And, uh, so there's some other things going on. Uh, there's a, actually there's a group of scientists out your way, Vicki, yeah? uh, that they specialize in doing nothing but harvesting wild yeast, characterizing them, and making beer with it. Really? <laughs> that's yeah. a scientific job that I wanted to sign up for. Where I the know. hell was that? <laughs> totally, I-
0: yeah. Well, I mean, if they're doing that, that Ooh. must be... That's okay. got to be... There's a central college in the middle of the state, in the middle of the wine country, in the Atkin Valley region. That, that's that got to be where they are.
3: Okay, the story gets better. Oh, so they actually have a yeast that they isolated from the gut of a honeybee. Ooh. And I, I have already contacted him many months ago to try and get said yeast. And it just kind of, I mean, he, he responded back and it said, "You know, basically the university wants to use this to make money or whatever, and I don't know if I can send it to you and then deaf ears. So <laughs> screw him. I'm a microbiologist. <laughs> I can culture yeast from a honeybee no problem so I need honeybees that's what I need I need honeybees honeybees? I would prefer honeybees that are already pollinating something wonderful like orange blossom or metafoam honey or something like that but I'm looking for for honeybees so if you've got a couple of spare honeybees you'd like to send me through the mail that's not weird at all
0: Just the bees, you don't want a queen or anything like that. Just a couple of bees, just,
3: just the bees. <laughs> I'd like preferably to be, uh, preferably with
0: their little leg sacks full of metafoam honey, that would be good.
2: <laughs> that'd be
3: fantastic! But I'll take what I can get. <laughs> no, seriously. I so I don't know if any of you guys have looked at this, but I've started, uh, so I've been reading a lot of books on wild ferments and on Groot. Uh, which all Groot is Groot which all Groot is is, uh, before we figured out that hops were really good in alcoholic beverages we had all this other slew of plants that we just kind of threw in there because we had them and guess what they give you a really good buzz (laughs) you know that's basically what Groot is Uh, so I've done an entire scientific analysis of Groot It's incomplete at best, but it's on Got Mead. It's on uh, the forums.
0: Okay. NC State's doing the uh, experiment, just so you know. Which is near me.
3: And, you know, the thing is, is that I'm, from what I can see, most people have done Groot from the standpoint of very much beer-oriented. But I'm going to look at it from more the the ceremonial, you know. The ceremonial... uh, deal for many ancient cultures including Vikings but not limited to
2: okay.
3: was that there was a pure honey wine for ceremonial purposes this would be their religious holidays I guess you would say
2: okay.
3: um, so I what I'm trying to do is revive Groot mead not beer Groot mead <laughs>
2: interesting
3: so I'm studying all the herbs and stuff and I have definitely learned you better study your herbs because there are some herbs, like for instance, herbane, mm-hmm. You don't touch. You don't want to touch that.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, you really don't. It constantly amazes me how many people come on Got Meat asking about herbs that, if they use them, will kill them. Yeah, yeah
3: be very, very careful. Natural I've,
0: does not mean safe, people.
3: No, I'm, I'm a forager, so I know that there are certain things I don't use, and mushrooms are one of those. Just because it's things.
1: a red berry doesn't mean it's good to eat. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Exactly.
3: Exactly. So uh, so I'm trying to basically make it such that I can uh, find these things, find people that actually have these things to sell, which that in and of itself can be difficult. Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
3: And say, okay, well, here's a good supplier, and I'm not to that point yet, but I want to get to the point where it's like, okay, I have tried their stuff. I'm not dead.
2: Uh,
3: you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think what I'm going to try initially is just to basically uh, do some steepings and some mead that I already know what it tastes like and then kind of go from there.
0: Interesting. A quick search on Google because, you know, the Google fool is strong with this crowd. Um,
3: <laughs> there's only one website.
0: Well, yeah, but there's like several conversations on homebrew forums. Small Beer Press has got a thing called group quest, but it's more beer-oriented. Um, exactly. Exact. Yeah, Mead Made Easy mentions it. Uh, yeah. Most of it is beer-related for the most part. So, yeah, and we need to... This is, this is where, when I set you up, as because you, you're already set up as an author, I just need to send you the info. when You can start talking about this on Got Mead, because I think there will be people who want to know. You know,
3: and the for thing is, is specific, that it's, there's
1: actually a herb shop in Ottawa that I've been looking at for getting some of the stuff that I haven't been able to find through like regular, regular ways of, of getting stuff. Well, and don't um, be
0: afraid to ask me, dude, because I can totally package mm-hmm. it as, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll think of something and, you know, send it's it. It's oregano. You. Yeah, yeah. It's marinade. It. It's yeah. marinade. Marinade. Yeah. Nobody right.
3: has to know it's marinade for the liver, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so I'll totally, I will totally act as your mule, you know, <laughs> relatively speaking, and you know, get that to you. Just let me know what you need. We've got some probably shouldn't have said that on on you. record. You, you might want to cut not. that part out. You probably want to cut that part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No, this but I mean, a- it's not like we're talking about illegal stuff here or anything. But uh, you know.
3: No, but seriously, uh, Groot's. Groots sound like... I mean, it's basically just a methicone. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Mm-hmm. And, but I think in comparison to beer, we'll probably want to dial it back a lot because mead flavors are much more delicate. Yeah. And, uh, well,
0: and you, you want know. to get that complex honey character to be balanced with the Groot herbs.
3: Which I've had a lot of methicones. I, I enjoy the medicinal flavor. I know I'm one of those guys. Um, but... I really do, I enjoy the medicinal flavor of things. But I think in this case, we probably, I I probably wanna dial it back to make it something more than just a typical methaglen. If you've ever had a royal Mm -hmm. methaglen, which I was lucky enough- That's on my list. I I gotta give a shout out to Ryan uh, in Colorado. Uh, Ryan sent me a methaglen along with some nice acacia wood that i'm going to use for aging of mead um which i'm sorry ryan i'm getting to it but life is busy
2: uh,
3: <laughs> so uh that's another conversation we'll have that conversation in a second uh but basically it, it's just a wonderful and in when even when he was emailing me he's like oh man i don't know it's just so strong and i'm like dude i love it it's awesome
0: <laughs> have you yeah. read a sip through time have you got that
3: Ooh. No, I don't have that one.
0: Yeah, it's a good... If you like... And, and this is where you find those super strong ones, historical recipes. Um, Obviously, Sir, you know, uh, Sir Dig, Kennell Dig, Digby's Closet Unlocked has got some stuff. But A Sip Through yeah. Time, the gal who wrote the book, has basically mined um, Digby's, among other things, for all these old recipes. And there's a lot of methaglins in there. And some of them are, like, up in your face, you know, medicinal you know because they were designed to be they were not designed to be um now we look at method and go we want this to drink then they were like we want these to cure what ails us that's what they were looking at so um you know there's a lot of those in there so if you haven't got that book i recommend it i've got it and i love it uh and the author is uh an sca scholar so she's you know, her, her references are impeccable. I mean, you look in the back and there's like 14 pages of references. They're
6: really, really good. Very nice.
0: Yeah, the Very book's nice. worth it. For the references alone, the book is worth it.
6: That's awesome. Yeah, I've got uh, a copy and I've really enjoyed it. I haven't made much out of it yet, other than the Digby stuff, because I've got Digby's book.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually got Digby's as a free PDF through one of my SCA contacts before they mm. turned it into a book, because it's actually available without copyright. Um so, I, I think I have a on got Mead somewhere, but I'll try to remember. I've got to, Dixby's. Yeah,
5: yeah
0: Dixby's. Dix- yeah. you
3: have to be careful. You have to be careful with that one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Especially when yeah. it comes to Angelica.
0: <laughs>
2: Angelica. <laughs> and then
0: there's the Wormwood one, you know, which is really fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's I think that's a lot of, of states in
2: it.
3: It's like somebody asked me one time. They're like, oh, that has Wormwood in it? Oh, well, we're going to get high off of that, right? And no, I'm like, dead can, off of that. can yeah. you drink it?
2: No, no, no! Uh, It's like aspirin. No, you're not going to die
3: off of it. Basically, it's like any other
1: medicine. Yeah, it is.
3: Well, actually, wormwood has a high degree of thujone in it, Mm -hmm. which supposedly is very similar to THC. But the thing is, it's all an irrelevant conversation because in order to get enough THC to actually do something to you. You would have to use so much that it would be so bitter, you wouldn't be able to take one sip.
0: Which lays to rest the whole weed need conversation that pops up every 15 minutes or so on, God, I mean... Um, Actually, that's
3: a completely different conversation, and I have nothing to do with that, so I have no really
0: <laughs> Well, the Colorado and the Washington folks are having an interesting back and forth about that. I'm still curious to see what, if anything, comes out of that in the states in which uh, you know, marijuana is legal. But um chemically,
3: yeah. it has to be cooked anyway. so
0: well, yeah, I was wondering what would happen if you did like a decoction or an extraction with it. I don't know, you know I mean again, I live in a state where it is not yet legal, so I don't know.
1: you know I who used to mix um, just the, the stems from the pot that her boyfriend used to grow in with her decaf tea as a you know nightly soporific to make her go to sleep. So there's, there's enough in it to still have some effect
3: hmm. Well that's interesting Well you're still applying heat though
2: That's mm, the thing yeah, that's in, true. Order
3: for, that's true. in order for THC to go to active form It has to be heated yeah. Which is why you can eat a pot plant all day long and won't do anything But you make brownies with it Or you <laughs> smoke it You're going to have a nice little episode um, <laughs> But with mead, like, we're we're so against cooking stuff, or at least I am anyway.
2: And uh
3: I, I just don't know. I don't wanna apply heat to anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Why should we heat this when we can just stir the living crap out of it until it dissolves <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Well, if I'm using if I'm using ginger, I actually prefer to steep it in boiled water because uh, I've had I've had some bad experiences using fresh ginger grated directly into my musts. So I actually have better results if I just steep the stuff and then I know what I'm working with as opposed to just dropping it into my must.
2: Yeah,
3: I do the same thing for ginger, but it's it's more from the standpoint of uh, I find I have better control with methaglins when yeah. I actually make tea first
0: mm-hmm. i'm with you and
3: i've kind of gotten to a point where if the tea is three times stronger than i'd like it before i stick it in my meat it's perfect <sighs> <Yep.
0: laughs> yeah well and you can and the neat thing is is you can add as much as you think you need which usually tends to be less than you actually need and then as you go forward you, you know because i'll take and save whatever's left over and i'll seal it up you know and and make, you know, use that or make more. But the thing is, is that if you use a tea, you can control the amount. I've gone and done the whole throw in 12 clothes and then found out later that while oh. um, <laughs> it your entire face when you drank it, you know, it's like really good if you have a toothache, not so much if you just want to have a glass of mead, you know.
2: Um, yeah, well,
1: I, I had the same experience when um, I was inspired by Spelljammer, I admit it, geeking out again. Um, sage. I made a sage methoglen, and I just used fresh sage, and I don't know who it is that says that um, dried is is more potent than fresh, but they lie, because
4: <laughs> yeah, the, so.
1: this is blow your head off sage, and it, it's taken like three or four years to age down into something that I actually want to drink.
2: No, see, well, so
4: you mean- need,
3: no, 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 you got it all wrong. You just need to marinate your sausage in it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sausage that,
3: sausage is made with sage yeah so. yeah, yeah
6: there you go oh, the, oh, the stuffing for thanksgiving too yeah
1: yeah personally okay. i use savory for stuffing not sage but you
3: know oh, yes I, that's I, a great idea david
5: <laughs> speaking, speaking of, of food there bray you said you were also a quite a quite the chef what uh what meads are you pairing with what uh foods
0: oh good segue Me? doug thank you oh,
6: <laughs> okay yeah, i just kind of Whatever I have open, I drink with food and I like it.
3: (laughs) Well, I I have a couple of things. I have done a lot
6: with pairing. I just kind
3: of wing it. Well, winging it is good because it leads you to good pairings. It really does, yeah. But basically, I mean, it's like any other food. When you're looking at food, basically when you're doing a pairing, you just want to combine flavors that exist in both things. So, for instance... If I have a ginger mead, I want a dish that has very strong okay. ginger in it, or something that's ginger-like, like galangal or something like that. Uh, for those of you who don't know what galangal is, galangal is the Thai version of ginger. It's a little more potent, a little more fragrant. I love it. Uh, for,
0: uh, Henry VIII used it in his uh, in his methlins and in his spiced wines, and it was basically in place of pepper, which was far too expensive.
3: And I use it in a lot of my methaglins as well, and it is wonderful.
0: Isn't it great? I love galangal. I actually Mm. keep it in the cupboard and use it in cooking as well as in my meats. I love galangal. Hard to find, though, if you don't have the right places.
3: Now, one of the best things I've ever had is uh, I I think most of our listeners probably – sorry, Doug – but most of our (laughs) our listeners probably have access to Trader Joe's. And Trader Joe's – has a um, they have a cinnamon dusted cheese. Now you take a cinnamon dusted cheese and you put it next to a sizer and it's like a match made in heaven. That's oh it. You're God. done for. The, that's it. You're done for the night. You don't need anything else. Now, if you take that same cinnamon dusted cheese and you take that same sizer and you take that sizer and you stick it in the freezer and forget about it for a little bit. And then you pour what's left of that sizer off.
0: Ooh, yeah, you're, you're, you're walking the line <laughs> here, dude. Be very careful. And and let's
3: just say that you do <laughs> something like that. Because
0: you accidentally freeze it and then pour off what's left because the rest is useless. And?
3: So, sometimes that's very wonderful. And uh, patron section got me. <clears throat> uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Join to be a patron to find out more about this. And, <laughs> End of PSA.
3: <laughs> Jack bomb. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying it's wonderful. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to say about that.
0: Yeah, it is. It really
2: is. <laughs> you
0: know, it's funny. You know, again, small sidebar. We used to take when I was a, when I was a, uh, in high school and uh, drama kid. Okay, so one time at band camp, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We used to, we had drama practice like three, four nights a week when there was a play coming on and lockers in the school and everything. And I grew up in apple country in Northwestern Michigan. So nice. there was cider like everywhere, you know, like you couldn't, it was everywhere. So we always had cider around and I'd go buy a jug of cider and we'd take it, stick it in our lockers and then forget it was there until it started to, until the thing started to deform. You know, nice. Yeah. So when when the, <laughs> when the plastic jug of cider takes on the aspects of that guy in, um, um, you know, um, big trouble in Little China starts to you know that guy, uh, when it starts to do that, then it's time to drink it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. If you don't get the, and if you don't get and if you don't get the pop culture reference, look it up. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not getting. Excited. Yeah,
3: friends. They would stick cider. Cider pressed apple juice, uh, for those yeah, of you across the public,
0: pressed apple juice, not alcohol, pre alcoholic, but this is like apple juice, yes.
3: Stick okay. it stick it in barrels, put it on the front porch, and when the bong popped off, you knew it was good to go.
0: Uh, yep, pretty much. We didn't have the <laughs> barrels because you know, we were like you know, uh, yeah, you know, lower middle class, didn't have access to things like barrels. So, in the jug, <laughs> in the locker was the best we could do, but it worked. And hey. Yeah. The, then, the Same practices. Same thing. At, Same
3: exact thing.
0: It, yep. And then the practices of drama would get really interesting.
3: <laughs> I bet they were dramatic.
0: They were very dramatic, and you know it was funny how the backdrops
2: suddenly changed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't get spider, sparkling cider the natural way anymore because they pretty much mandated that you have to put um, potassium sorbate in it now.
0: You can overcome Before that with yeast. I've done it. Yeah, but
1: I, so have I. So have I. But the the thing is, getting it to do the naturally sparkling thing by just leaving it in the fridge or um, in some cases your locker, it doesn't work as well. It'll actually tend to mold first.
3: Hmm. Ah, okay. Well, that's why you just tell them that you're you're very very strict organic and you need organic food. So. <laughs> That's that's no what additives. we do here I,
2: take additives.
3: I shop a lot at the organic store And I will be the first to admit That I love steak um, So you know <laughs> It's good Good points <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No no preservatives whatsoever Lightly pasteurized Yep Totally Which is where I found my pear juice For my oh. Pizer
1: Pizer <laughs> Perry's
3: mm-hmm.
0: another, I mean, Perry. nice, yeah, Perry's the other phrase. I, I like Pizer though. That's cute. I
2: like that. No, well, I Pizer
3: buy- is based off the oh. genus, uh, of pears, which, uh, Thank you, Medicine Fay. I don't know what your real name is, but I would love okay. to have a beer. Or we are going
0: to get Medicine Faye on the show. I'm totally.
3: Oh, I hope that. so. Maybe I will sell. totally call in because that guy is awesome.
0: Actually, mm-hmm. I, I think Medicine Faye may be a girl. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I seem to No, it he's not. He's not, he's a guy? Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you for confirming that because there's been some speculation around that. <laughs> no, well, he's, I, uh, I got some stuff
5: though, for. I'm sorry, go ahead, Doug. Oh, no, I was just going to say I uh, yeah, I had gotten some uh uh from medicine at one point. Yeah, okay. So so we uh yeah, we traded some emails and that kind of stuff and some meads and uh but yeah, he, he's very bright guy.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. he's another one of these like totally educated types. So, yeah, I want to get Medicine Fay on the show to basically, you know, do like what you're doing cuz medicine's contributed a lot to got Meat over the years. And um, I think it has a
3: lot. I'm a scientist by profession, and he gave one of the best critiques I have ever seen of a paper in my life. Really? Oh yeah, it was wonderful.
2: Nice. That
1: the overfeeding our yeast or overfeeding our, our uh, it was busts? it was based
3: on the um, it's uh, what is the what is the I'm trying to remember what the thread is. It's a recent thread that's very hotly contested, which is a good thing.
1: That's always, is yeah, it that's the always one about, happens. are we overfeeding our yeast?
5: Yeah, that's probably it. Perhaps.
1: Because that was, yeah, I just read that yesterday. It's a fantastic review.
3: Yeah, I mean, he gave a wonderful review of the paper, and I'm, you know, hallelujah brother. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the only thing I can do is provide more evidence for his points. That's all I can do, which is useless. <laughs>
2: wow.
0: That's, I like it. Well, then I'm going to email medicine like. A-S-A-P and see if I can uh...
3: Yeah, medicine's awesome
2: So mm-hmm.
3: uh, he he always has the most well thought out responses To any question that comes across the board So definitely get him on at some point if you can mm-hmm. No, no mm-hmm. my
0: plan was always to get We've been planning. JD's been flogging me on that one since like day one, and I've oh been, so have I Putting it off and you have too, yeah
1: so. Well, medson has been sort of away from the forums for a couple of months, too, but it well, yeah. seems to be back now in
3: force, so... Yeah. I
0: would say for a while there, Medson kind of dropped off the map, so, okay, yeah, we
1: will definitely take care
3: of that. Oh, yeah, well, we're all, you know, we all got our thing going, yeah. I understand that.
1: Life. And life happens. Hobbies and stuff, yeah.
3: So. <clears throat> uh,
1: sometimes life gets in the way of your hobbies, sometimes your hobbies get in the way of your hobbies, you know how it is. I know,
3: right? <laughs> exactly. Uh so I I did want to mention a couple of things. Uh so the first thing is and I definitely owe this to Ryan which is uh Squatchy on the forums. Oh yeah. I, do, I like Squatchy. I do still have the acacia wood experiment mm-hmm. on the books. So I I read on an article um somewhere in I don't I think somewhere in France I read the article about um acacia wood being used instead of oak to provide a nice full flavor to white wines. So I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to use and mead because one of the biggest complaints I see about mead is that it doesn't have a lot of body to it. But the thing is, is that uh, oak is wonderful for adding body and it's very delicious but it only works for certain varietal honeys. Other varietal honeys are so light, like, say, a clover honey with oak. Man, you would just overpower the clover so badly by the time you actually had some body. Chateau plywood.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chateau plywood.
3: That's awesome, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the thing is, is that acacia wood, or black locust, as we call it in the United States... Apparently, provides a lot of body, but it doesn't provide a lot of that flavor. Hmm. So, I would like to try it, but obviously, there's no, you know, you can't go to a wine shop and buy acacia wood cubes, right? So, uh, I put a call out. I put a call out on Got Mead. I said, you know, look, this is what I want. And actually, the first thing I put was acacia wood, and people corrected me and said, hey, uh, you know, in America, we don't really call it acacia. We call it black locust." I'm like, okay, you got me, <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I agree with you. Uh, I want black locust wood cubes, well, Squatchy, which is ryan uh is very kind and he sent them to me and uh so i'm uh I'm in the process of doing that experiment uh, The other thing is of course, the groot, and then the other uh guy is a uh, water chemistry so. Yeah, anybody who's done a lot of beer knows that water chemistry is a hot topic. And beer, if you don't have your water chemistry, the minerals that are in your water just right, it actually affects the flavors of your beer very profoundly.
0: Well, it makes sense, though, if you think about it. I mean, some city waters especially are like, Or, for that matter, well water, if you get one that's really, you know, heavy on minerals or whatnot,
1: you know. Yeah, that's actually what the, the beer maker guys at my uh, brew store say is the water is the most important thing. Uh, I don't find it as much with wines and meads, but uh, apparently it is quite
3: prevalent in beers. So you'll um, notice that whenever I write a bomb protocol, I always say Ozarka Spring. Yes,
1: yeah, I, I did notice that. that. that.
2: Yeah,
3: uh, That's because from my beer making, I recognize that the water does matter. So I put that there. A, because I want people to recognize that spring water is critical. You don't want to use distilled water because distilled water doesn't have any minerals in it at all. And B, uh, that's the water I use to make it. So if you use a different water, I don't know if your results will be exactly the same. However, what you can do is you can go onto Ozarka's website. You can look up the water profile for their water. For their mineral content, and you can compare whatever your water that is locally available and see if it's compatible. Uh, I've had a couple of people. Email
2: yeah, that's
1: actually one of the things on my crew list is is water testing.
2: Yeah, I've seeing had what
1: the difference is between softened water, well water, city water, and you know, well water from my mom's place and well water from the firm I used to work at, just to see what the difference is.
0: And I love that you've got, you know, like you pointed out, that Ozarka has their profile there. So you can actually, did you choose to get your water tested, see how it stacks up, and to get a sense of where you are.
3: Exactly. And also, if you're using just a different brand of spring water, they are required, well, if they're in the USA, they're required to post that profile. And so you can see if the water so you're purchasing got busted.
2: <laughs> hmm. yeah.
3: So you can see if your water is close, and if it's not close, there are multiple uh, mineral calculators online that you can use to make it stack up. Uh, the thing is, is that Ozarka's not that special. There's not really anything all that special about it. It's not particularly high in any one mineral. Um, but I've always wondered what would happen if you were to make things certain high, uh, very high. Uh, So for example, most of the beers that people understand and know and are well known throughout the world, they have a specific water profile. And that's because the people who developed that beer, well, they were just working with what they had and they made it the best of their ability. And then it became popular. Uh, so nowadays if you want to make a pilsner or you want to make a specific style of beer you can go over there on one of those calculators and they'll tell you which salt concentrations you need to have to match their water for that area mm-hmm. well nobody's done that for me i've
6: always wondered about that our local uh, we have a local brewery down here that has a He does reverse osmosis on the city water and then adds his own salt mineral to it and can reproduce uh, any water from any region in the world. The day I toured his plant, they had the uh, water profile from the Chimay region, and that was (laughs) awesome water.
2: (laughs) My bad.
3: Exactly. And you know, the thing is, Chimay is a very, very mineral laden. Uh, so I can see where that might mask some of the more subtle qualities of the honey that they're using. Um, so I can see what you mean by that.
6: Um, Back in college, so, I uh, had a well that was tapped in sorry. the local aquifer, and I made some really good stuff out of that
3: and it's luck of the draw right so if you don't keep yep. your water the same your water is just as important as all your other ingredients if you don't keep your water the same and you do experiments well then you don't really you're not really able to compare them to each other
1: yeah you're changing too many
3: variables so ideally in science you only want to change one variable if you're changing more than one variable then comparisons are meaningless
0: yeah that's And that's the same in programming. I mean, I did IT for a long time. You go and change up a bunch of different things. How do you know which thing it was that was causing the problem?
1: Exactly. Well, that's when when I was I was trying to educate my palate once upon a time, and so what I did was I made a blank wine out of just sugar water, and uh, I tried adding extra acidity to one, uh, used raisins for body in another, and um, uh, oak chips for tannin in another. Just trying to isolate the various things to see if I could taste them separately. Unfortunately, a bunch of them went moldy because of bad sanitation <laughs> techniques. So I didn't get as much out of it as I wish I had.
3: Oh, that's bad because that would have been an awesome experiment.
0: Yeah, I could see where that would cause a problem. But yeah, it might well, be, the might thing is though that using, using raisins
1: for tannin is you're adding other things aside from the raisins. So you the the problem with my uh, my experimental setup was that I was changing more than one variable at a time. So.
0: Well, and, and with raisins, uh, unless you're yeah. making your own raisins, you don't know what all's in slash on them, you know, yeah. and that's the problem.
3: Well, you know, the thing is that, I mean, this is all assuming that science is perfect and it's not. <laughs> um,
2: what? So, right. <laughs> no, no
0: said so. ain't so.
2: I, I, it ain't so.
0: Hey, we're
3: going to science a shit number, out of this. You said so. <laughs> would be shocked at the number of people that would totally agree with that statement. But science is not perfect because it's based on humans, and we suck. So yeah. you know,
1: well, um, this is why let's face we. This it, is why we've got safety factors. Yeah. How on the
0: perfect. on the scale of things that we know, I mean, we don't even know what we don't know yet.
3: Yes. But that being said, it doesn't mean that you can't try to design the best experiment you can. And you can at least narrow it down to raisins.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Raisins, and if you use the same raisins in all the different <laughs> batches, then at least you got the same set of whatevers going
1: on. But the on. problem is when the raisins are f- two years old versus when the raisins are four years old. You don't know what the difference is, and yeah, well, that's
0: why you use all two-year-old raisins and not the two-year-old mm-hmm. and the four-year-old raisins. You know, yeah, but or if they're, they're all from the together. same batch,
5: yeah, mix, mix, them mix them together, mix them that's together. That's yeah. Smart. Well, then we you don't, don't we we know what percentage
0: of two-year-old to four-year-old we don't raisins we got.
5: <laughs> four-year-old
3: age raisins
0: (laughs) (laughs) vintage raisins yeah vintage raisins (laughs) picked using only the second and fourth fingers (laughs) of people at least 50 50 years old
3: (laughs) best quality you could possibly have
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs>
3: Sorry, guys, just had to throw no, right? that
0: <laughs> raisins dried only between 60 and 68 degrees and a half on the southern side of the hills north of the 48th and a half parallel, going only between 6 and 8.15 p.m. 8.16 8, and <laughs> p.m.
5: On
1: a full exactly. Moon. And, and collected yeah. the full moon. That's gotta <laughs> have a big difference.
0: Indeed, and spread in a single layer, because only one layer will do. On all linen cloth, because we can't have polyester. That would be bad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that would be sacrilegious <laughs>
0: <laughs> And then gathered up by maidens in the dark of the full moon on a and a week ending in Y. <laughs>
6: Okay, I, was, oh, I, I think I played, Ricky, we both uh, had too much.
2: Today. <laughs> oh God!
6: Sorry,
0: Uh-oh. I, I spend so many way ways too much time in living. I know, right? I spend <laughs> way too idea. much time in living history. It, sorry, I get the best of me sometimes. <laughs> Yeah.
3: That's awesome.
0: Oh, you ought to hear me spin bullshit when I'm doing... <laughs> when, okay, when when I'm doing Living History, which sadly isn't as often as I'd like these days, because I do enjoy it... Um... I did, um, 16th, 17th, and 18th century living history, and the group that I was with did basically sort of like a living village, so we do cooking demos, we did brewing demos, that kind of thing, and I was the brew station, so I was making homemade ginger ale, I was making mead, I was making beer. Why would
3: they make you brew station?
0: Why would they make me a brew station? Well, I don't know, because I was the only one who you wanted can, to
3: do it. You can laugh now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was the only one who wanted to do it, you know. I actually trained apprentices, and they're doing it now. But, um, because, you know, that's period.
1: <laughs> well, yes, of course, I have an Seriously. apprentice. Seriously,
0: yeah. But, Get um, them to do the shit jobs. It was field. it was so funny because we did this at various different locations around the southeast. And, um, and, and I would be doing mead making, beer making, and then just drink, like, you know, ginger ale, which is not, you know, an alcoholic beverage per se, you know. And, um... And, and people would ask me questions, and I would just basically spin bullshit. You know? Ginger
3: ale mixed with mead?
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, there's a thought. Ginger hydromel. Gin, yeah, ginger hydromel. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, because people would ask me questions, and the real fun would be when the Brits came, when, when people who were of British extraction would come up to me and go, what part of Great Britain are you from? It's Like then I knew I was doing it right.
3: Nicely done. All right. None of them.
0: Yeah, I know. I'd be like, "Well, I'm from I'm from Central North Carolina. What part of Great Britain are you from?" And they'd be like, "What?"
3: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Oh, it was. I knew I had it then. You know, it took me a long time to nail it, but yeah. I mean, well, it's it's cool though, because I mean, the historical going back to our early thing, uh, earlier thing. The historical stuff is really fun. I don't think a lot of people really realize how much interesting stuff there is out there.
3: Oh yeah. I mean that's that's why a lot of the means that I make are based on something historical. I mean the Tej. Oh man, I, oh man, I couldn't resist that. Tej goes
0: back like what thousand some odd years. I mean, I mean it's 3, the thousand longest...
3: BC, and yeah. you're carrying on that tradition. Why then?
0: Huh? Why That's... not? Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I mean, it's like the longest running mead tradition that we can trace. Um, I mean, there's the Chinese there's the Chinese one and the uh, King Midas one that.
3: Uh, and you know what? Five thousand know, years of mead making cannot be wrong.
0: No, you can't beat that we must have gotten so, something right in all yeah, that and, time. Okay, now one of the things I've got to do, and I have to send the email, I really want to get Patrick McGovern on the show. He's the he's the, he's the the booze archaeologist. He's the guy that discovered the King Midas. Is he thing. the University
3: of Pittsburgh guy?
0: That's, I think it's University of Pittsburgh, University of Delaware. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, he's the one that discovered Midas. He's the one that discovered the Chinese mead. He's the one that... All of the meads that... Um, that dogfish had based their their beer meads on our because nice. of Patrick McGovern. So this guy's like the booze historian. You know, I mean, he's just the guy.
1: And the
3: alcoholic.
0: I know, right? I <laughs> desperately want to have him on the show because he's just got it going on. And well, I mean, he did some work on the. Um, some oh, people
3: God. have problems. Other people turn them into solutions. I
0: know, right? Or take. Take this Careers. into a job, you know? I mean, what a great job. Yeah, what do you do? Well, I dig
1: up old booze. <laughs> That's freaking
2: awesome.
1: Right.
3: Is thousand he the guy that dug up booze? scotch from the bottom of the ocean after however many hundreds of years? I don't
0: know if that was him or I not. Say, I, I want to say it was the
3: same guy, actually. It probably
0: was. Well, he, did, he, did the, he dug up the King Midas tomb. He did the uh, Jiahu, which was China eight thousand years ago. It's the oldest incidence of a mead like substance that we have. Um, huh. he uh, oh he did some work on the hotch- on the Hotchkiss, Hotchberg, Hotchberg, Hochburg? The the giant cauldron, the Hockberg cauldron stuff. He did some work on that project too. So um, but he's just like look him up, Patrick McGovern, uh, an archaeologist and I mean he's just on all kinds of really interesting stuff.
3: See, that's the thing. I I think that most of the beverages that we had pre-whatever-you-want-to-call-this-environment-that-we-live-in was basically, here's the fermentables we have, and we'd really like to have a buzz, so why don't you, the guy, the village guy that has been determined to be the best at this, Go ahead and figure out how to make that into something that we can drink and have a good time.
0: Making is gonna get a shit face, dude, because we've had a really hard week. So there was
6: actually a village drunk.
0: Yeah.
3: Maybe he was a village drunk, he was also the village savior.
2: Oh, well, <laughs> the alchemist.
0: Yeah, and the guy who in the end people were
3: like, Dude, I wanna be your friend. So who do you think's gonna get eaten first?
1: The guy who's <laughs> slowest?
5: <laughs> or maybe will get eaten marinated. first,
1: but the guy who makes the meat'll get eaten last. Yeah, because no. everyone else no, is drunk on it.
5: He's well marinated, so he'll go first. <laughs> the,
1: well,
0: no, because you know if I'm being chased by a bear, all I got to do is trip you.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that whatever I do is a secret. Mm, <laughs> <that's it. laughs> you want this? I have to be alive.
0: I have served in my house. I'm not so I'm going good. to tell you how I did it because, you know, just saying. <laughs>
3: I'm just going to say that I need these 15 items and I'm only going to use three of them. That's, that's all right. I'm going to tell you. And
0: I'm not going to tell you which ones. And a bottle of that is going to cost you two cows and a sheep, okay? Just, you know. I have plate mail. Enough said.
3: Because I love steak. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that's it
0: i say, okay, maybe I'll go with one cow and a half a sheep, but that's the best I can do, you know. <laughs> and you'll have to decide how to divide up the sheep. That's not my problem.
3: Yay, zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. A couple of uh, folks have been asking me. So, unfortunately unfortunately, uh, I have a lot of recipes out there. And I know it's very difficult to pick. So people have been asking me, and actually, I've gotten a couple of emails before we even suggested this show. Uh, what are your, what are your favorites? What do you like? What's your, what's your favorite recipes that you've made so far? And I will emphasize so far because, man, I've made so many, and my taste change from day to day. So it is what it is, but. <laughs> I I will say that if you can make it, uh, the Acacia Rose, which is the Yadwiga clone, uh, quote-unquote clone, because I've never actually tasted Yadwiga. I hope to change that soon, Vicky. I'm
0: sending you a bottle. Don't worry. I might even send you a bottle from Slovakia, too, if you're really, really nice to me.
3: (laughs) I'm always a nice guy. I know you are. (laughs) Um, So Acacia Rose would be the big one Uh, Mental bomb actually Um, And I'm sorry AJ I haven't made those Marshmallow root shooters yet (laughs) Um, What? I've thought about it Marshmallow
0: root
2: Shooters really?
3: Yeah so the the mental bomb When I first brought it up It's basically meant to be a Stimulant mead So it has ginger, galangal, ginseng And uh, ginkgo In it Okay but then nice. I also added marshmallow root because marshmallow root has this nice uh, roundness to it. Kind of yeah. think of it as spiking in a little bit of metaphone. Okay. Marshmallow and, root metal foam, Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does.
3: And uh, it, but the thing right. is, is that it provides body too. A lot of body. How bad? A surprisingly amount. Um, and okay. so uh, I put it in there and I said, you know, nice. hey, you know, uh, no, this one's Szechuan. Szechuan's separate.
0: No, I'm um, looking at the Mental bomb. That's why I was...
3: Mental bomb. So eventually I did spike in some Szechuan berries. Okay. Uh, but I, lately I've decided that I don't like that quite as much. I do a much lighter hand, so maybe a fifth of what I initially suggested. Okay.
2: Um, All
3: right. Just because I think it overpowers the ginger and galangal, and I really love ginger and galangal. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I adore ginger and galangal. I'm, I'm totally, like, mentally calculating how much galangal I've got. I think I've got enough.
1: I've been trying to figure out how to use this stuff, because I got some from a herbalist friend of mine, and I'm not sure how much I need to use or where I should use it. So I've been saving it for an appropriate. Uh, it says appropriate one
0: tablespoon brew. in this gallon batch. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm this, looking, this I'm is dry. The yeah, dried. Yeah.
1: Yeah, what well, I've got's dried, but it's it's whole root dried. Well, just grind mm. it up then. Yeah.
3: Yeah, smack yeah. it up a little bit because if you stick it in whole, it doesn't tend to extract quite as mm-hmm. well.
1: Yeah, I was but gonna so throw it in the coffee the whole grinder.
3: time, it's fine. If you're gonna make a tea, it's not cool. Uh, it's just yeah, I was a,
1: gonna throw it in the coffee grinder, chop it up. Yeah.
3: I I tend to the coffee grinder, well, at least my coffee I've
1: grinder. I've never used my coffee grinder for coffee. It's only ever been used for spices.
0: I have a separate oh. one just for spices that I use yeah. because I'm forever grinding up some or another in there. My husband says he doesn't like his coffee to taste like rosemary, so
3: yeah. <laughs> I actually I'm so so ridiculously old-school in some ways I actually I have a mortar and pestle I actually pound it
0: <laughs> I, I have uh, several actually mortar and pestles but um, depending on where I'm going I mean my galangal already powdered so that's kind of a moot point but no. stuff that like nutmegs I will totally mortar and pestle a nutmeg before I'll try to grind it I mean I like it. oh I use I use a, so. I use a,
1: a wood, uh, um what do you call it a wood uh, grater for that um, oh yeah I use my zester for that. For uh-huh. for that, but the um when I'm making my uh, anything with cardamom pods, I use that. That's what I use in my mortar
3: and pestle. So I want to since we're sensor nutmeg for a reason for a minute. I I just have to put this forward. Somebody told me that they got a nutmeg mead from Shrams.
0: Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he has a nutmeg mead.
3: And it was one point oh four. Mm-hmm. And did not taste very sweet which i can i actually believe that because i've made a couple of meads with a lot of nutmeg in them and it tends to make things very very dry
2: yeah is that, that
3: something a- is that something that you guys have also experienced
0: i've noticed that nutmeg tends to make things seem more dry i don't I- I don't know that it's an actual dryness. It's more of a perception, perception thing.
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah, I could uh, see that. Just like red currants and yeah. cranberries give you the perception of sweetness, nutmeg gives you the perception of dryness.
0: Well, it's got that. Well, to, to not to not sound um, day class A, but it's got that pucker factor
3: kind of thing going on. It, it's kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, a little bit a little bit like cloves, you know, except without the numbness. So, <laughs>
3: I have a Krupnik bomb. Oh, I
0: love (laughs) Krupnik.
3: I have this Krupnik recipe I've been making forever, and that stuff is wonderful. So I decided to make a mead version of it because, you know, you don't get shit faced all the time.
0: Right.
3: (laughs) And, uh,
2: okay.
3: So I made the Krupnik bomb based off of my original seasonings, and it is 1.02 two or three or something like that it's pretty sweet right
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
3: it tastes bone dry wow i believe it and i i think it's because the nutmeg the nutmeg is so predominant in the flavor and i don't have a problem with that i'll just adjust things next time but um just want to throw it out there for other people
0: that's interesting yeah i I've used nutmeg in a lot of different things, and I've only used it in one or two meads, and those were meads that had a lot of other spices in them, so picking that out, pointing to it is kind of hard, you know. Um... But I'll have to try that. And and especially, what I'll have to do is just go ahead and buy a bottle of the Schrams. And I can buy two, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and get one to you, Bray. But that, you know, we may have to talk about that one. Because I don't know if you've (laughs) looked at Schrams prices, but he's not cheap. (laughs)
3: Uh, No worries about that. Uh, Actually, I had two people uh, tell me that one person told me it was 1.04. And the other person told me it was 1.028. Hmm. And, but they were different years. Yeah. And so That's I don't need to too. taste it. I just need to tell you that I think that nutmeg is a very special individual.
0: That's I all. Think it is, is. <laughs> yeah. Well, damn, we could just go on forever, but uh we are rapidly approaching 11:30 Eastern, uh 10:30 Texas time. And um, I don't even know what time it is in in uh, the Netherlands,
5: Doug. <laughs> About five thirty.
0: <530. laughs> like, oh God, it's oh, early. Geez. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go for Doug. Four hours. Doug, God love him, gets up in the middle of the night or stays up until the middle of the night, depending on how you look at it, to be on the show. So, Doug, you rock. You know that, right? Thank you, Doug. Yeah, but um, I think it's time we wind up and let everybody get back to their lives. But Bray, I'm totally going to have you back on the show because this was a hell of a lot of fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'm thinking when we get Medson Fay on the show, that might be a bad thing. You, Medson Fay, and whoever else wants to join in, and we'll have a mall.
3: Oh, oh, I'd love to have a glass of mead with medicine Yeah,
1: oh, no kidding.
2: We can- I Actually, I might even Faye open is, up Medson Fay's mead. I
0: definitely want something. to hang. Okay, well, let's see if I uh, get some feedback. Uh, hopefully I will. And um, I've, I've already messaged message him and we'll see if uh, if he can get back to me and we'll see if we can get him on and then I'll get up with you and Dave and Doug and anybody else who wants to get on the line and we'll have a party.
3: Dave, I'm sorry you couldn't get a word in edge-wise, but I appreciate you being here.
6: Dave's a quiet, strong type. I, I was absorbing the information. I mean, <laughs> I learned a lot. I got a bad... 10 tabs open on my browser here, too. And I got a recording
0: of the whole thing, Dave, so you can download it here in about 20 minutes. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, this has been amazing, Bray, and we will definitely be getting back online. Uh, And in the meantime, I'm slowly snaking each of your recipes, putting them in the recipe files and attributing them to you. And uh, you'll be getting email from me with uh, the you can log in and start... uh, you know, posting whatever the hell you want to post on Cotton Mead. I think you'll have fun. Yeah,
3: and enjoy my music as well.
0: Oh, I totally mm. will. We are going to, yeah, we are definitely going to get that going now. I've just got to figure out how to do a good voiceover on it without it sounding idiotic like it did last <laughs> time. Um, i got to work on that.
3: <laughs> no worries. I'll help you out.
0: Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I know you've got background in this stuff, and like, I think I told you on the phone that I am, like, six, seven years the last time I used Audacity with any kind of skill set. So yeah, I can use all the help I can get.
3: I'll make it ridiculously easy. So no worries.
0: Ah, love you. Really mean it. <laughs> totally, yeah. Cause I've been struggling with this going, all right, you know, to hell with it. We're just going to jump into the show and I don't need an intro. You know what I really
2: do.
3: <laughs> so basically what I'll do is, um, I'll take some of those songs that you guys didn't necessarily like. I'll cut out certain tracks, and then um, you guys can just talk over them instead of having to compete with whatever was in your voice range. Right.
1: Just so you okay. know, Bray, I liked all of them. I just figured I that the one that I selected
3: was best fit for the Mead show.
0: Yeah, I mean, that same here. I was like, they're I all
1: have
3: awesome.
0: To yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> I just didn't know that you guys were looking for. Okay, what can I talk over and not be completely dominated?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <Now, laughs> we're looking. Yeah, intro, outro, and those little breaks in between, so that I can run that and have that be happening while I'm calling, and the stupid thing is ringing like it's not supposed
2: to.
3: <laughs> See, now that I know that, I can send you the same exact song,
5: but just cut out certain parts, and you'll go, oh, okay. That'll work.
2: Perfect, Love it.
0: Awesome.
5: So. Yeah. So. Or a ringing telephone is a uh, sound effect.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. yeah it's such a
1: great sound effect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, And I've changed all of we'll the Skype settings. We'll cut it out and
1: make it
3: sound discotheque.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I've changed all the settings and <laughs> Skype. It's not supposed to do that, but when I call a number, it does that anyway because it doesn't like me, so, you know um
1: blame it on me blame it on me computers hate me
0: well no they always do
1: what they're not supposed to
0: i probably what i probably need to do is just like have that i've got two accounts and have it like do it on the other account and then have it join that and i don't know there's there's like a two step process there that probably needs to happen (laughs) and i just haven't had time to sit down and work out all the logistics right but at any rate though bray thank you dave thank you doug thank you everybody for coming on the show it has been a hell of a lot of
3: fun tonight I agree. And thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, it was, Thanks. it was, you know, Our the pleasure know, all ours. Yeah. Um, those of you listening, uh, you have been, if you've been listening to, you've been listening to uh, Bray Denard, uh, DenardBrewing.com, and he's the guy who created the bomb, Bray's one month mead. So go check it out and see the recipes. All of those recipes will soon be also on Got Mead. Thank you to Bray, who's graciously consented to let us post them there. Um, coming up in uh, meat events, we've got Mead for Your Die on April 30th, which is in New Hampshire. And if you are a meat judge, you want to go to com and see where they're set up and if you can go up there and judge i'd be there except i have another event that i cannot get out of sadly so i won't be able to be there this year but mead for this is a really big event it's uh the probably the second largest mead only event in the world right behind the maser cup mm. and uh it's kicking butt and taking names right now so you definitely want to be a part of that if you're thinking of entering your mead in a competition uh, next guest next week is going to be John and Kim Hamilton at White Winter Meadery in Wisconsin. And uh, they, I've known these guys since they were brewing out of their basement and uh, just getting started. They were one of the very first commercial meads I ever tried. And so I've got a special place in my heart for them, and I am tickled to death to have them on the show. They're going to tell us a little bit about how they got started, what they're up to now, and they're really into music and mead, so I think you'll find some interesting stuff there. And then cool. more mead discussion with other mead makers. Don't know who yet. Still working on that, but I will let you know as soon as I know. So we will. Uh, okay. Medicine yeah, Fay, yes, Benson Fay. If you're listening, please, we want you on the show. So, yes, we do. Uh, yeah, if the gods are good. It'll be Benson Fay, and who knows who else? Maybe Bray will come back on, and Dave, and Doug, and who knows who else? So, and Chris from Mississippi, just a shout out. I know you're healing, dude. Um, love you, miss you, and hope to see you soon on the show.
3: Chris, um, praying for you.
0: Totally, yeah. Hope last you're doing heard, well, man. Last I heard from him, we emailed, and I was actually supposed to call him this weekend, Chris. Sorry, I got totally sidetracked. He is healing well, uh, typing with one hand, but on the road to recovery and expects to be back up and around pretty soon. Here, he's uh, but he's gonna be fine, so good, it's man. all good. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, we're going to wind this up. Say goodnight, AJ. Good night, AJ. Say goodnight, Vicky. Good night, Vicky. Say goodnight, Bray.
5: Good night, Bray.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Say goodnight, Doug, Dave. Oh. Night. Doug, okay. Dave. Nighty night. Doug <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we get the two part <laughs> harmony here. <laughs> oh God. Okay, guys. We will hopefully see some or all of you next week. And uh thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a hell of a lot of fun.
1: Thank you everybody for showing up.
0: Yeah, right on. Okay. And